Let's go. This is a full song parody, and it's kind of a long one. Rock and roll. I think we'll have some fun. Beefcake Supreme. So I wince and I glince, and with fear in my eye, I say, Yes, sir. I mean, Yes, Queen. Oh, fart, for fart, for fart, for fart, for fart. Sing us a song, you're the farting man. Sing us a song tonight Well, we're all in the mood for some doing farting And we heard you could go all night Now this next verse is dedicated to my friend and co-host I hope he likes it Because I enjoyed writing it Now Mace on the mic is a friend of mine Who cleans my diaper for free And he's slow with a joke while he's trying to be woke But he gets every nook and cranny He says, Noah, you're really outdid yourself And his frown turns around to a smile This might take a minute, uh you know what? Forget it. We could be here for quite a while. Oh, ass, 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 ass. Ass, 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 ass. Now Rocky's a regular guest of ours who claims that he never broke wind. But at everything now, I thought I... I heard a cow, but it was Rocky doing farting instead. Now this next verse goes out to a little guy you all might know. To us, he's just Thomas S. And Thomas is taking the F train, and you know that that F stands for farts. And he'd rather be fucking, but instead he's sucking down his own Disgusting ass farts. Sing us a song, you're the farting man. 
Sing us a song tonight Well, we're all in the mood for some doing farting And we heard you could go all night Home stretch, people. Stay with me. Stay with me. It's a pretty good uh, crowd for a record day, and I ate Chipotle for lunch. But instead of excusing, I accept that I'm losing, and I shit out some corn that goes crunch. <laughs> and my asshole sounds like a firework, and my microphone smells like a crap, and I sit shit and I don't take the hint that now this whole segment is scrapped oh stinky stinky stink stinky stink a stink sing us a song you're the farting man sing us a song tonight well we're some doing farting and we heard you could go all night thank you thank you ladies and gentlemen everybody in between what a wonderful night here it is at the it's on the list italian eatery what a wonderful night late early november middle november 2020 mid one yes that is does it still count as early November if it's before, or early in part of the month if it's before the fifteenth? Because the fifteenth is usually a good, it's usually the halfway point. Well, let for... me let me give you my theory on the early, middle, and late part of the month. Are you ready? I yes. This is why we do the show is so that we can have we have a place to air these these tweets. First these, of all, it's, did it's you like that? Did you yes, like listening to that just now? Was that okay? I love that. I love that. Yes, one of the best. Our, our, th- our guest is giving us a thumbs up. He's he's <laughs> he's. Noah loves that our guest is not saying a single word until he's g- getting introduced. Well, you know, it's up to him. Ultimately, if he wants to get fucking, if he wants to get fucking roasted, it's up to him. I told him what ha- fucking happens on this show. Um, Mason, here's my theory. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All months, with the exception of February, are thirty or thirty-one days. True. These, these are the facts. These are the facts of the case. Every uh, every day, what is it? Every month, uh, something 30 days has September, April, June, and November. All the rest have 31 All the rest before, have 30. Fe- before February yeah. is 28. Classic. So think about this, Mason. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take you back to like third grade here. Dates 1 through 9, early mm-hmm. November. 10 through mm-hmm. 19, mid-November. 20 through 30 or 31, late November. And that's my theory. I can get with that. I can get with that. I think that that's a fair, considered, even take. I don't think anyone could argue with that. Because it is kind of silly to be like, to use to use the like the 15th as the clear demarcation. You know what I'm saying? Like, we would only have one day of mid August and just like kind of mid month or whatever, and just going off a of vibe, it's starting to feel like the middle of the month, you know. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking the I was thinking the same thing that it was sort of like giving off mid mid month vibes for sure. Well, Mason, this is also um, giving off midweek vibes because we're recording the show today on a Wednesday due to uh, due to me being able to see licorice pizza early. I'll just say it. That's all I'm going to say. I saw it early. The guest, our guest, is bleeding from the eyes and foaming from the mouth at that. I can no longer hold my silence. Fuck you. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) Um. Well, the reason I wrote that very special parody song. Mason. And mm-hmm. I'm glad in some ways it's good we're recording this so close to when it's coming out because it will still be somewhat relevant. Mm-hmm. Our good friend, your namesake, Sleepy Joe Biden, ripped ass in front of the in Duchess of, of Cornwall. The Duchess of Cornwall, Camilla Camilla. Camilla. Yeah. And I had yeah. to shout out my man for not giving a flying F what we didn't think about him, bro. <laughs> I gotta shout out Joe Biden for being a bro. You I know? uh I can't wait for the Pablo Lorraine biopic Camilla about <laughs> Joe Biden ripping ass in front of Camilla. What if that's like the anchor point for the whole film and we just like keep coming back to that moment and it's like so shocking for her that she like yeah. has like psychic flashbacks to like her dad ripping ass in her like in her like like nursery or whatever, and it like takes her back there, and then yeah. she remembers her whole childhood, or whatever. So that's cool. So that's why I did it because I think it's important to sh- to shout out people who are willing to just do some farting, you know. It is. It's. It's. We have so few. Um. Our 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 rights are under attack in America every single day. This is something that everybody can agree on. Mm-hmm. But our God given constitutional right to do a little farting is that still stays. We, it stays I will defend until my to if you defend to my death the right to do a little farting mm-hmm. um all right they'll have to take me brother yeah, yeah don't trip. have to take my <laughs> don't poot <laughs> on me <laughs> don't fucking poot on me that's the truth yeah the gads the Gadsden flag, but instead of a snake, it's just like a, a big long shit that's cut off into pieces. You know, it's a guy it's cutting like a, a shit like a snake. Is. Yeah, it's curled like yeah. a snake is, and it's a guy with a plastic fork and knife from a cafeteria <laughs> cutting up yeah. shit and saying, "Go down, girl, go down." God. That's gross. Who said uh, that? That's gross. Welcome to It's on the List. This is the podcast. Nope, no, 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 no. Welcome to It's on the List. This is the podcast about underrated albums, movies, and a whole lot more. I am, of course, one half of the stupid twins, Noah Marger, with my fellow stupid twin, all the way from Chicago, Illinois. You know him, you love him, you smell him. Mason McGuire. Mason, what's on your mind? Oh my god! You asked me this when we were recording yesterday, and that that question threw me for a loop. That question always throws me for a loop. I'm not much of a thinking person. I know that's mostly why I'm asking you what's yes. on your mind. I'm sure it's pretty easy <laughs> to access. Uh, what's on my mind? I don't know. You know, it is uh uh it, it is getting close to my birthday. I'm kind of I'm going into birthday mode, and my birthday gift to myself this year was going to a double feature of the souvenir at the Siskel Center. Souvenir part one, souvenir part two, on the 16th of November. And nobody can say anything about that. Uh, And that movie is very special to me. The first movie is very special to me uh, 
And it is also special and uh, relevant because, folks, you heard him. You love him. You know him. We have a very special chef returning for the third time to the suck. <laughs> Noah, do you want to do the honors? Yeah, I'll introduce our guest for the third Possibly final time during my era, during my weird era on this show. Uh, I got a little written intro for him, so I'm going to do it. Our guest today is a filmmaker known for It Never Rains in Hollywood and Brett Austin's hair tutorial. And you can stream a most wanted episode on Vimeo. Link will be in the description. Or not. Just fucking Google it. Please welcome back to the show <laughs> for the third time, Sonny Dion Jr. Sonny, what's up? Yes, yes. SCJ3K. It's hard to make the three, boys. <laughs> That's true. That's what I'm always saying when I'm doing that. It's hard to make the three, boys. And everyone, everyone at the airport's like, get on your, you're going to miss your flight. You're going to miss your flight. Stop doing it to uh, the so Panda You've been Express. randomly selected for this <laughs> You've been randomly selected. We want to go, we want to show you how to do the three. <laughs> What's up, though, Sonny? What's on your mind? What's, how you I'm feeling? I'm hanging around, man. I it's hard for me to stop thinking about you seeing licorice pizza. You know, it's really it's all I can think about these days. I know it's kind of consuming your every thought. I'm actually getting kind of uh, frustrated and upset with you the way you're handling yourself around it. So, yeah, not my not my finest moment personally. Yeah, well, for me, it's actually just a normal run of the mill moment. That's how I view you normally. Oh. So, so oh. that's sort of the big oh. the big dunker on that one. But uh, <laughs> I think the last time we checked in with you, at least on air. We were still pre-vax, and now we're oh, 100%. post-vax. Yeah. Anything post-vax. Anything big going on in between then and now? Just working, man. Working on these fucking movies, you know? At least it's like things are getting dream. back up in that, on that front, I suppose. That's good. Yeah, it's great. It feels good to be working. I'm back in a bar. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Some so, would say. So fun. So fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Sounds like a lot's going on, which is good. That's really good. Yeah. Well, the last time we talked, I feel like you were in Portland, so it's probably nice to be back in town. Yeah, it's uh, the best. Well, it is and yeah. it isn't the best because L.A. is any sane person will tell you is great and horrible all at the same time. It is. Yeah. 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 People ask me when I tell them that I spent three and a half years in Los Angeles, they ask me, do you like it? And I it used to be when I first moved back, I was like, no, it was awful. Blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, no, I, I really liked it. And now I'm like, I don't have an answer for you. And if I, <laughs> no, I like that time or how I feel about that city. You could just like, um, it's a beautiful place. That's how we'll put it. Uh, yeah. It's a beautiful do you miss place. it at all, Mason? We miss you. I do. I do. I do. I miss my friends that are there. And I feel like right before I left, uh, as it so often happens, I started to feel a little more comfortable and started to like meet nice, cool people, more nice, new, yeah. cool people, such as Noe Marge and everyone I met through that guy. Um, but I want to, I want to come back. I'm thinking about, you know, now that res- travel restrictions are up and things like that. And I got my shots. I want to, I want to come back out West. I miss it. O- I, I do miss it over there. I miss my, my yeah. beautiful friends. I want to give you kisses in person instead of just over the zoom screen. Yeah, the Zoom kisses aren't really doing it for me at this point. Seriously, my penis is still soft. Well, that sounds like a problem yeah. outside of getting Zoom kisses. That sounds like a whole other problem that you contend with. I don't know if that's going to last long after we get into the content today. <laughs> that's true. That's actually true. Before we dive into the conversation at hand, though, Mason, we actually did get an email. Yes, <clears throat> we did. This email came to us on November 5th of 
so in between our last two recordings, so we didn't miss it this time, as a reminder, folks, if you are so inclined, you can send us an email to everybody wants to the number two get on the list at gmail.com. That is spelled out in the uh, notes to each episode, and we will read it on air if it's good, such as this one, this particular email. This email comes to us from Special Chef, the originator of Cute Boy Summer, the man who told us that we live in a baseball world. That's right. You guessed it. Ryan Maloney sends us an email with the subject headline, Favorite Fast Food Places. Hi. And he writes, (laughs) Hi. All right. Can you guys have a discussion slash heated argument slash battle over what the best fast food places are? Sorry if you guys have already done this. I've only listened to some of the episodes. If you have already done this, can you guys do rock, paper, scissors, best of seven? Uh, love, Ryan, uh, colon D. P.S. Just kidding. I don't have a P.S. Made you look. All right, Ryan. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. Get your shit together. Here's the thing. We have legitimately so much to talk about in the album and movie department. I don't want to. I actually don't want to spend <laughs> that long. This is like, about this is this. actually like a thing where we. No and I have talked about this. I'm pretty sure off mic many times, and I'm sure that our special guest Sonny Dion Jr. does have takes to give about the best fast food places. Why don't we keep it simple, stupid, and just say what our favorite fast food places are? You know, no battle, no sort of ranking, no nothing like that. No, no. No pitting friends against each other. Let's just say it. Let's just say it from the bottom of our hearts. If we could only patronize one fast food joint, one fast fast food spot, what would it be? Uh, Sonny, I'm going to give it up to you first. What's your favorite fast food joint? All right. Firing from the hip here. Whoa. I'm thinking mm. I can only go to one, one fast food joint for the rest of my life. That's kind of the question, right? Basically, yeah. I think it's Jack in the Box. Oh my god. Wow. That's crazy, bro. <laughs> I think wow. it's Jack in the Box. Why? Part of it for me is the the variety of the offerings. So you know you get tired of burgers, you can have two tacos. You can have an egg roll. You can get onion rings. They it's a constantly evolving menu. It's pretty exciting stuff what they're doing down there. If you I think that's yeah. the one. If you go past like it's like nine or ten PM. Their menu gets fucked up. I've never been when but it they gets have the up. munchie meals. That's what I'm Six talking about. Six-dollar munchie meal, baby. Have you ever it's had amazing. one? I have one about four to five times a week. That's awesome. Okay. What what is the <laughs> go-to munchie meal? I'm just curious because me and my friend Fed are obsessed with the idea of the munchie meals. Well, it's amazing because with tax in LA County, you will get a meal for six sixty-two. Oh, shit. Um, and it is there's like four different sandwich offerings, and then you get two tacos and curly fries and straight fries and a drink holy shit so it's tough to beat the value that's true uh, really the chicken no. tater melt meal it, i can recommend to the listeners and the spicy nacho chicken i i would say will be worth your time folks okay Brother, that just makes dollars and cents if you ask me <laughs> yeah i hope my i hope my munchie meal makes more sense than my life it's what the joker wrote that was the first <laughs> iteration of that line and then tom phillips was like you know what would be even better <laughs> you know what would be even better than that um, Mason, what about you? What are you doing? I have said this time and time again, I will die on this hill. Taco Bell every single day. I love a T Bell. Uh I it it's now that I've got my order down pat, it has such a 
The value meal can't be beat. Pretty good quality. Um, and it just always, like, even though it doesn't sit well in my tummy sometimes, it always <laughs> makes me feel good when I eat it. And sometimes when I really just need a little, to give myself a little gift if I've had a bad day, Taco Bell usually lifts my spirit. So Taco Bell, uh, every day of the week, that's my answer to that question. Noah, what about you, Chef? What about me, Chef? Well, Mason, it is very appropriate that you said Taco Bell for your answer. Because Mm -hmm. I have to go the competitor of Taco Bell, all things considered. Oh, okay. I'm going Del Taco, oh, baby. Let's fucking go. Yeah. Del Taco? Del Taco. shit. I know, dude. Free Shavakadu. Free Shavakadu wow. itself. I have come around on them big time. I'm not even a big Mexican food guy to begin with, but I love grabbing whatever you want to call their food. I think it's better than Taco Bell. I think it's fresher, you know, fresher, quote unquote. Uh, and I yes. like the menu more. Might be a little bit more expensive than T-Bell if you're really trying to go for value. But they have a solid value menu there where you can get, like, a full meal for under $10. Like, no doubt about it. What do you get at Deltico? Uh, I'm getting burritos. I'm getting the Del Tacos. I'm getting grilled chicken tacos. I'm getting fries. They got great fries fries? at Del Taco. Those fries are good. The fries, if they didn't have such good fries, it wouldn't be my answer. But the fact that you can get really good fries there and above average fast food Mexican food. That's it for me. That's yeah, a pretty I, good one. It is. I mean, you guys have that, like, I don't have a single Del Taco west of the Mississippi, east of the Mississippi. Um, man, I do. I did like Del Taco that time that I was in Los Angeles. Um, that's a good answer. I respect that. Uh, I think good answers all around. Yeah, so, I'm glad none of us said some dumb shit like in and out or something. Yeah, fuck that, bro. Fuck yeah. that. Well, speaking Put me on the record saying fuck in and out. Speaking of some dumb shit, I actually have a surprise for you guys. Okay. Joining us all the way from Los Angeles, California. You know what him. The fuck? <laughs> you know him. You love him. It's my man, Chris Chalakian. Chris, what's up, baby? Hey, Chris, how's it going? How's everyone doing? I can't fucking believe this. What's happening? Chris, I don't think you guys have ever met before, probably. I don't think we have. What's happening, Chris? I'm Sonny. Nice to meet you, man. Chris, what's going on? Why are you here, man? So, um, just real quick, I'll do my thing. So, Mason asked me to review uh, Timothy Chalamet's newest movie because he said it was one of the best he's ever And, you know, he said it was the best movie to come out in recent memory, so I decided to check it out and review it for him. And I got to say, I'm not so sure why Mason was into it, but I definitely related to it on a mm. personal level. So, I went and saw A Rainy Day in New York. <clears throat> Um, oh boy Mason wanted you to review that? Yeah, so Mason said Go check out the new Chalamet And give me a write up about it Because I loved it so much So I decided Okay, you know, I'll go check it out um, But is Woody Allen Directed by Woody Allen Written by Woody right. Allen Starring right. Timothy Chalamet, Al Fanning, Selena Gomez, Jude Law Diego Luna and Liv Shriver <laughs> Okay it's a really know, efficient way to read the cast. Yeah. Synopsis yeah, yeah. to go along with it because just to kind of keep me fresh on the details, it's very hard to find a synopsis of this movie, surprisingly. There's very little written about it in general on the internet. Um, but we got a guy whose name is Gatsby. The protagonist, his name is Gatsby, like from The Great Gatsby. And that's Timothy <laughs> Chalamet. And so his name is Gatsby. Like how, the same spelling as from the book. 
And then Wells is his last name. Maybe that's Orson Wells. I didn't get into it. But basically, he's the brainy but eccentric son of wealthy New York City-based parents and a student at Yardley College, which is like this fake liberal arts school uptown. And the way he pays for that is he's a gambler. Like, he's he's going to these card games at night yeah. and he's yeah. like making a lot of money. He's making like $10,000 at like a dorm room Texas Hold'em game. Nice. And so uh, I relate to that a lot because I'm also a son of eccentric people from New York and I'm a very successful gambler as well. I have a sort of different method where I don't win $10,000 in one card game at at like a dorm room. I will go to a Costa Rican website and I have put $800 into it in March. And I have just sort of seen that 800 go up and down, back and forth, kind of hovering around the same number for about uh, eight months now, I'd say. But this is Mason's favorite movie. A big connection in that moment. I don't know why Mason would have necessarily been that, in, but there is this whole other sort of B plot of a movie, and maybe that's what Mason was getting at. So he has a girlfriend played by Elle Fanning, excellently, and uh, she is like kind of wants to be around him. They started dating pretty recently, but she's like Gatsby, you're so cool and. And I, you know, I want to see your whole thing. So she goes with him to New York because he's like, I got to get out of this stuffy college and back to New York City and be myself in uptown, Upper East Side, New York. Right. And she goes with him. And then through like a series of events, she gets all mixed up where she like runs into a director. And it's this older guy uh, played by... I think, I don't know if she goes in Jude Law or Liv Schreiber first, but there's a bunch of like older men who she keeps kind of running into and they're all like, Oh, I'm going through all this personal inner turmoil. And like, you are offering such brevity in this otherwise messed up situation. And I never makes movies about stuff like that. And slowly you sort of realize that every man in the movie above the age of, I'd say 25 sleep with this girl. And they're sort of doing this thing in the movie where they're going like, I guess everyone wants to do this. Like, I guess Liv Schreiber, I guess Jude Law, I guess Diego Luna. I guess we sort of all want to do this. Diego Luna just sort of brazenly cheats on his girlfriend in one scene. And there's, there's, I'm not, I think it was like a comedy beat. Not a hundred percent sure. Um, he sings at one point, Chalamet. Really bizarre. Didn't like it. Um, then he like talks to his mom. I'm just gonna skip to pretty much two thirds of the way into the That's movie. That's great. Yeah. He talks do. to his mom and he's like, Hey, I feel all fucked up about like being this cool guy and also like having to go to college. And the mom tells what I can only imagine is a totally unrelated story where she just starts talking about how she was like once a sex worker. And, like, made a bunch of money doing sex Damn, work. Okay. And, like, that's why they have this big, cool house. And then he's like, cool, all right, I'm going to drop out of college. And then the girlfriend comes back, and he's like, you should go sleep with all those old guys. I'm kind of done talking to you. And they just sort of break up at the end of the movie. And then Gatsby, remember, that's Gatsby, the character, right, Chalamet. Right, yeah. He... He just sort of goes to the zoo. Like he, they just show him kind of walking to Central Park, and like she's going in her own direction. And uh, the scene where his mom and him are talking, 
they cut it in this way where it really looks like like they forgot to cut you know like when you do a rough edit and you're like we'll tighten this up a little bit like sure. we'll put, right now i just want to get them all sequenced on the thing but we'll go in and we'll like make them read off each other it had none of that at all it felt wow. really jarringly like it would cut to Chalmay and then he would like kind of brace himself and he'd be like I don't understand what you mean by that. And then it would cut back to the mom. She'd be looking kind of dead eyed. And then she would like light up and go like, <clears throat> well, it's because of this. And it was very, it was some of the worst filmmaking I've ever seen. So that's awesome. That was my review of that movie, Mason. Not sure which part you were into. Cause I, for me, the thing I loved was a gambler from New York city, kind of up in the air about life. There was this whole other beat plot Maybe that was the part you were into. I don't actually know. But overall, I would give it three out of five. Would you recommend, not recommend, conditional recommend, or full recommend? I guess it like depends what you're into. So if this is something like Mason's into, then I guess like for people like him, yeah. So it sounds like maybe like a conditional recommend or something like that. Yeah, there's definitely a condition involved in the recommend, absolutely. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for stopping by and completely stopping the flow of the show and dead in its tracks. That was very nice of you. Is there anything you want to plug before you take off? Nope, that's it. Take care, guys. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) You guys ready to talk about Kaput now? Wow. Mason, do you need to take five? <laughs> we need to take. Mason needs to take a couple hundred Xanax. Is what he needs to take right now. I'm so mad you did that. <laughs> I didn't know he was gonna do that. He just told me I have a bit. I want to clown Mason, and I said, "Perfect. Come on in on Wednesday, baby." So <laughs> okay, all right. Oh, I'll, I'll l- listen. He Chris didn't want to plug anything. But we've been saying at the end of the show, uh, Chris. Uh, lost his house and studio in a fire. So uh, go fund me for everything now in the description. I will be the bigger man. Chris, that was a very funny bit. Thank you for clowning me. Um, I'm still really fucking pissed off that you did it, though. But let's get back to business. Brass tax here. Brass tax. So just to reiterate. Let's do it. Jack in the Box, Taco Bell, Del Taco. Yes. I think that sounds good. Yeah, I think that sounds good, good. It's a good good group. Well, now we're good all fighter, fucked up and have to do an entire group. podcast, so I think that that's probably a good place <laughs> to start for talking about a whole album. Uh, the album we're talking about today, Sonny, what do we got? Kaput, baby. Destroyers. 2011 release? Yep. 2010? Yes. 2011? It is 11, yep. right? January 2011. Fucking A. <laughs> were you guys big... Were you guys on this album when it came out? Were you were you Destroyer Heads? What do you think, Mason? No. Were you? <laughs> I the first the first time I ever heard this album or ever heard about Destroyer at all was at your uh Waveland Waveland apartment, Sonny. One day I was just oh, hanging over shit. there. Yeah, and you That's just like right. had it on your yeah. TV and I was like, What the fuck is this? I was trying to remember like if you started from the top with Chinatown or went like deeper into the album, but I would just remember being like completely transfixed by the album and i listened to when ken came out in 2017 he kind of got put back on my radar i like that album quite a bit and then when uh what was the album that came out in 2020 have uh, we met 
Have We Met. Yes, that album I also really liked when it came out in January yeah. 2020. Don't um, sleep on that. You guys are like... Don't sleep on Poison Season. You guys are like big Poison Destroyer Season's good. fans then, aren't you? You guys are like really... Oh, and uh, Stre- uh, Street Life of Serenade or Street Life Serenade or whatever that one is. I really I listened to that one over the summer. Are you talking about uh, Street yeah, Hawk time, a, sedu- really a Seduction? Street Hawk a... Yes? Street Hawk a Seduction. That's it. Street Hawk a Seduction. Yeah, yeah. Street Hawk a Seduction. Uh, I really like... Um, Street Hot Seduction. I listened to that album for the first time over the summer, and I is that really... the one with is that the one with Painter in Your Pocket on it, or is that Ruby's? Uh, I think Painter in Your Pocket is on is in uh, is on Ruby's. Okay, uh, I okay. like that song. I haven't listened to the full album there. Let me open up Street Hot Seduction. Has um, the one I really like from that is the very uh, is the very modern dance is on that one. Okay, do you know that one? Uh, I definitely know that one. So, I'm I big big fan of that song actually. I don't know that song. I didn't. I was kind of late to him. Like I, when when Kaput came out, I was obsessed with it. But that was the first album I had ever heard by him, and or them, I should say. Um, were yeah. You, were you? It uh, is tempting to. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, were you? Were you like listening to them when this album came out? Was this like the first thing that put them on your radar? Would you ever like? Was, yeah. Or was this you discovered it after the fact that it had come out? No, I like the Friday this album came out. Like I, that, this is back in the. I mean, ten years ago, I used to care a lot more about like finding new music, and I'm really bad about that now. So I would read like blogs constantly of shit that was coming out, and I just, I mean, pretty much all the artists I listen to now were are just people I grew up with or discovered up until like 2012. Like I almost never discover new artists. I feel like a piece of shit about it, but it's just the truth. You know what I mean? That's crazy. And I. So, like, when that album came out, I was like, oh, I have to listen to this because everyone thinks it's good. And it was, like, literally January. I just started dating. Or, you know Mary-Kate. That was, yeah. like, that was right when me and her started dating. Or, no, it was, like, a year into it, I guess. But, um, yeah, we just were obsessed with that album. Damn. Okay. So, we got some big, we got some big Destroyer yeah. heads in the fucking Zoom tonight. Okay. What about you? How did you come across Destroyer, Noah? All right. Are you ready for this, folks? Of yes. all ages. Yeah. Have you ever seen the series What's in My Bag by Amoeba? Yes. No, yes. So, like Amoeba, like the record store? Yes. So. Oh, no. Pre them moving their location when they were on, I think it was what, Sunset and Coenga or something like that? Were they originally yeah, on? Yeah, something like that. They used to do a series of videos, I think for like a good while. Like, 20, during all throughout the 2010s, I think, they were doing these videos and putting yeah. them up on YouTube where they would invite actors, musicians, filmmakers, basically anyone who had any sort of a following that they could get to basically say, go around the store, pick out what you want for free, and then talk about it with us, and we'll do like a 15-minute video about it. Oh, it's like the Criterion Closet kind of thing. More or less, it's that. Exactly. But for Amoeba. But for that Amoeba. sounds fucking awesome. I want to go watch those. They're cool. And so this one, the only reason I think it even came across my algorithm is because it was Jason Mantzoukas who was doing the video. Mm-hmm. Sure. And at the time, as you know now, Mason, I was a huge Comedy Bang Bang guy. Like, so into Comedy Bang Bang. And he was a frequent guest on Comedy Bang Bang and still is... Probably I wasn't as into how did this get made. I know Mason is was big into that one at one mm-hmm. point, but I'm watching his video and he's got some pretty eclectic picks in that video. It's pretty nuts. He's like all over the place, but he takes out what does he take out specifically? 
He takes out a vinyl of This Night by Destroyer, that record. And he shows no. the vinyl of that, and he goes, this uh, Destroyer's so good, I just I should have gotten, I didn't see it on vinyl, I should have gotten Street Hawk of Seduction. And he goes, fuck, why didn't I just get the CD of Street Hawk of Seduction? And then they play <laughs> a, like, 15-second clip of The Very Modern Dance by Destroyer mm. after he's done talking about it. And I'm not exaggerating, you guys. That has literally never left my brain. That little 15-second little just like... Which 15 seconds of that song? I don't fucking know, dude. You can watch the go fucking watch the video for yourself. But it was this 15-second <laughs> little thing. Just what? Why? Who? I don't fucking know. Are you kidding me? Who knows that? You said it was in your head. I, it's you said just it was like, in your head. I don't know. It is in my head, but it's like it's like... <laughs> or something like that. It's like... <laughs> one, more, one more time? You know, that classic one from of the very modern dance. But there's like a big <laughs> piano like build up or something like that. And I was like, "Doh, this is so cool. And I always thought about that and remembered that little segment. But up until like two years ago, I wasn't like actively seeking out new music, basically. So mm-hmm. then I listened to Street Hawk of Seduction because I'm like, you know what? We're giving this whole album a spin. And it was in 2020. So it was pre-vax, getting, before getting a vax, somewhat beginning of the pandemic. I listened to that entire album. And I was like, uh, there's some stuff on here I like, some stuff I don't like as much whatever like you know like all right fine i gave it a shot i wasn't like super super duper into it so that's my history so when you suggested or when you picked rather kaput i was like all right i guess we'll see what happens here i wasn't like stoked on it but i also wasn't like dreading it either because i was like "Eh, sure i got a little history with this guy i got you know something going on and i will start off our conversation by saying this this is the most i've ever liked something i've ever heard by destroyer yeah, yeah. that's go. awesome. Yeah. It's like, interesting like- because this, this I, maybe I'm stepping on you and it's kind of what you're about to say, Mason. This is like a huge turning point in his career, I think. Like he starts to sound completely different from like Kaput on. He's like in a new section, I think, that he was not really in before. And I don't know exactly how to put my finger on it. I think part of it's the production and part of it is like, I, uh, I don't know if you guys have read that much about him making this and he still does this. Like he records vocals like laying on a couch in the studio and will just lay down and like improvise lyrics. Yeah. And that like really you can tell is kind of happening on Kaput and he still does that. <laughs> I think maybe that's part of the turn. Like Yeah. It's because he spent his per diem at Dan Flash so he doesn't have any money for food. <laughs> so he's feeling really yeah, weak. Exactly. So he has to lay down and record all of his lyrics. But you know what's actually interesting about that is in the What's in my bag video for Jason Manzukis? He has the complete Deadwood on DVD box set, and he talks uh-huh. specifically. He's like, "I own this already, but I want to take it again because it's so good." And I'm like, "That's a dickhead move, but okay, whatever." And he talks about how there's a special feature on the De- Deadwood making of box set. I don't know the what is the name of the creator of Deadwood. Do you guys know off the top of your head? David Melch. I can't remember. David, what is it? David Melch. Okay, Melch. So like David Melch with an I. So that guy, David Milch lays down on the ground, has like a pillow on his elbow, and dictates his scripts to an assistant. Wow. And that's how he writes episodes of Deadwood. And he talks about that. So that's crazy that Destroyer, a.k.a. Dan Behar, 
sits on a couch, lays <laughs> down on the couch. Yeah. Because he spent all his per diem and he has to go to because of Dan Flashes and he has to sing on a couch. That's nuts. That's a wild ass connection that no one ever would have ever thought could be possible. I totally that is so funny. Apparently also this is kind of getting sidetracked. Matthew Weiner does something really similar. Have you guys ever heard of that? He like when he was writing episodes of Mad Men he had like six assistants all with computers and he would like pace up and down the row just dictating like scripts. Sounds nice, honestly. To be yeah, honest with you. That sounds badass. <laughs> that's like Yeah. I just I feel like I would get nervous about the sound of my own voice or something and be like, oh I don't know, that's stupid. Don't write that. He <laughs> he like I I wouldn't be confident enough in it. Can you imagine if like you, you don't have podcaster grind set, you know, like that's just for <laughs> Noah and I who just like don't want to do any work except for talking and getting it together like that is that's the ideal sort of scenario to like get something like something created like a movie a tv show or an album or whatever i love that though i think that's so awesome that that's dan behar's um writing process um i was gonna say that was funny actually i guess or his recording. Yeah, yeah, he writes. I've read some interviews with him where he talks about just like writing. Like he's he almost like writes like poetry kind of, and then we'll just like set it to music. Like it. I know we're not talking about this album, but the opener of "Have We Met" is the song "Crimson Tide." Great and apparently song. He a great song. He had all these lyrics already written that he didn't know what to do with, so he started just adding the words "Crimson Tide" to like every third or fourth line, and then just made it the song. I love that. God, that was, I listened to that song so much in January, 2020. Actually, I just want to pull up some of the lyrics there. Cause it's, it's this part of the magic for anything that moves crimson tide. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He, he is such a, and I'm glad you brought him on the show. I feel like there's one other time that, uh, I try. So I am a big admirer of, and lover of the song, um, Tinseltown Swimming in Blood by Destroyer. Hell yes. Love yes. that song so much. And I feel like I sent it to Noah at some point. He's like, this is good. This is fine. You know, not not super my thing. And I'm like, that's okay. Um, <laughs> you want me to break out the text Sorry, and just, say what you actually said instead yes. of that's okay? Yes. He said, what the yeah. fuck did you say to me, you little bitch? I am a fully trained <laughs> Navy combat SEAL. He did the whole copy pasta thing. I was like, that's funny, Mason. That's good. Um... That's crazy, you guys. I mean, I, I, I don't know anyone who listens to this guy. I don't even, like, again, I'm not, like, super into this guy. But it's crazy you guys are, like, pretty into him. And I, I it's just interesting to me that, like, specifically this guy. Does he have, like, a it's, cult following? I don't really a know, but, like, I'm comfortable saying the band Destroyer is probably, like, my favorite working band. Wow. Like, when an album from him gets released, it is, like, the only thing I listen to, and it feels like a huge event for me. I love him. I love him so much. Is it? And it's, he, he's got that thing, too, where it's, like, it's so rare. Like, even since Kaput is now 11 years old or 10 years old or whatever, he's only had three albums come out since then. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's very, it's just fun when he released a new record. At one point you were talking about this being a turning point for him Mm -hmm. artistically. What do you, what do you think that, how, how would you describe that turning point? And then I guess, what is it about this sound that you like so much? Like why this album to come to the show specifically? I feel like I'm going to give a really long answer, but I think that the turning point that I hear, and I could be completely wrong because I don't know the first half of this catalog as well as I know the second half of this catalog, but just the stuff that I've heard. And obviously I've like given Street Hawks like a couple listens and Rubies and all that shit. But I think the production got like less, I don't want to say folky, but there's like a, like kind of a bland, like indie rock envelope around his early stuff. And bland is the wrong word, but it's just kind of, 
production that you heard a lot of other bands kind of interacting with that idiom. And then after Kaput, it becomes like way more slick and weirdly throwbacky. Like agreed. Going into yeah. what's it called? I guess what I like about this album, a huge thing is the lyricism. I mean, there's like a like a weird persona I feel like that's created. And he did this before too, but in his other albums, like it's almost like you're listening to like some like bored millionaire like at a cocktail party or something that's like very literary but kind of lowbrow as well you know like he'll have lines like the bride and groom just piss themselves and just like weird shit like that it feels like it feels like being at like a party at a huge mansion as everyone has just found out like the world is ending in 12 hours (laughs) that's just like the feeling i get every time i listen to his music it's weirdly like melancholy but not seriously sad in any way it's like very ironic the way he seems so smart, but I also find it really moving weirdly. I don't, I don't know why. It's like a lot of it opposites just, going on, it seems like. Yeah. With this guy. Like he's like I just, a walking contradiction in terms of lyricism and then just kind of this weird like head turn almost with the sound in Kaput. Yeah. And it's yeah. funny because it's very like, I think Kaput is a very sexy album. I mean, it's a great pairing with Basic Instinct in that way because just we're horny boys today. But like, oh, did you say we're horny? Real quick, is that what you we're said? Horny boy. Okay. Time to get fucking horny. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> With the drop, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's time to get fucking time horny, to get boys. Fucking horny. That's true. That's true. This uh, is the official horny episode. This we're gonna get all our horniness out yeah. in this episode, right? All horniness has got. This is it. an extremely horny album. It definitely makes me in the mood. Um. I can't quite put my finger on why, because none of the lyrics are like particularly suggestive or anything like that. Um, but I think part of it is, I think it's so sexy, but all the sounds he's riffing on are from like decidedly unsexy genres. Like part of it is like, well, I guess that's not even true. Like part of it sounds like new wavy, part of it sounds like adult contemporary kind of, It's or yeah. like really soft jazz. Like right. I think this like, album... Yeah, I think this album pairs really well with an album that makes me feel like super romantic and insane, and that's Avalon by Roxy Music. <laughs> oh, totally. Oh, Roxy Music has got to be an influence on him, right? Like a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So much like that, like you know, Roxy Music is you know a band and an incredible just like collection of guys making unbelievable sounds that nobody's really been able to replicate since, and had a lot of like. I, I think that their influence is like stronger than destroyer because i don't really know of any other contemporary acts that are like trying to ape what um dan behar and destroyer are doing totally Um, yeah you know and i but i think everybody like there is you know glam and prog are kind of coming off of like roxy music in the early 70s if i like kind of have my music history there but also at the same time like nobody's kind of like replicated their fucking juice you know um and so much of like we're talking about destroyer and it is a band it is a project but it's like so much like the kind of i guess vision and direction of dan behar that when we're talking about destroyer we're kind of talking about you know uh of about dan behar sort of in a way what we talk about when we talk about destroyer uh and you know when you talk about uh roxy music like it's it's you're basically talking about brian Ferry, you know like um even though i think that the the um you know, the influence and the presence of Brian Eno and those first two Roxy Music albums definitely it, it those first two Roxy Music albums feel so different from the rest of their their catalog. I think probably Andy McKay would be like the next 
collaborator after that that really made that sound something something special. Um, but Avalon is just an album that like comes out in, like the early '80s or whatever, and I feel like the entire adult contemporary like sort of it's their last studio album, and it's their like every single adult contemporary or like kind of soft rock act or soft jazz or whatever the fuck is doing exactly like trying to do that thing, you know, trying to remake Avalon. And, but it's like this, like aside from it's like influence, that's just such like a also kind of like sad and, and melancholic and like ethereal and like really sexy album. And the song, the space between just really makes me go like fucking sicko mode. (laughs) it's so fucking sexy but like to get bring it back to destroyer like there's like a like so much of like a romance to this not as much as like a a carnal kind of um lust that like that would be you know characteristic of our our film pairing here but this is just such a the words that i wrote down here um to like kind of describe like my feelings about this album and what it makes me like kind of what it bubbles up in me were pride regret and the futility of excess um and it i listened to this album because we had a lot of sort of time between when we confirmed the topics through when we started recording to just like kind of sit and listen to this album and just be with it i listened to it so much over this past weekend and especially when i just kind of had like I did a lot of walking and um, filming around, like, uh, the boys. I, I helped a friend of mine shoot a, a short film in in and around, like, kind of Boys Town and, and Belmont and Halstead, basically, in Chicago, which is where, you know, uh, Sonny, I spent a lot of time in college. You lived there for a, around that area for a period of time, a place where I, like, kind of have these sort of, like, wistful, melancholic feelings, and it really just... Um, it really just kind of fit fit that particular scene and it just like i don't know i'll to get to the point that i love this album so goddamn much i don't think that i had heard it all the way through at least in a couple of years and it just got under my fucking skin um so 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 much um no do you have anything to say about this i'm kind of as i'm doing as i normally do on the show just like running out of steam and running ahead of my thoughts here yeah running your head straight into your fucking ass as per usual yeah dude kind of (laughs) cool um i don't have a lot to say about it but that's not because i don't like the album i just don't especially love the album either like i like it Hmm. it's it's good there's a couple songs that i really like demo or suicide demo for kara walker great track Probably yeah. the track oh, I'm yeah. gonna return to the most. Probably the track that I would. Do you know the story with that one too? No. What's well, maybe it's in the fast facts, that, but even if it is, tell us. Carol Walker, you guys know Carol Walker, the artist. She she wrote a bunch of like little couplets on like cue cards, and was just reading like showing him cue cards while he was like singing and putting them to music. Again, like laying on a couch, <laughs> and she's just like puts on a thing that says like i don't even i can't remember the lyrics of that song but just like all kinds of weird shit that you don't normally hear him saying and it's just her giving him cue cards to say like fucking crazy that is crazy that is yeah not how i (laughs) would ever imagine anything ever getting done it's so wild that like it's so wild that like that the the lyrics writing process of of 
his lyric writing process is like so specific and loose like that because it feels like I don't want to say del- like maybe deliberate is the wrong word, but it does like kind like him doing that does like just I love his lyrics. That's all the point Me I'm too. trying to get to. I love just he, nobody like writes lyrics like him that like don't even sometimes they don't even rhyme. They just like create these like really um specific um like just kind of uh, 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 images almost. I just pulled up lyrics for Suicide Demo for Kara Walker here. Uh, brown paper bag, don't stop me now. I'm on a roll. Plain brown wrapper in your pocket. Is it still the invisible man you're consorting with, woman? <laughs> no, you got it all wrong. You got it all backwards, girl. Enter through the exit and exit through the entrance when you can. See you consort with your invisible manhole. Like it's Fucking just amazing fucking incredible um there's that's what uh, makes it so fun to listen to him too i mean like it's funny because his song structure is obviously not poppy at all like almost none of the songs have choruses if any of them and then you're listening to it but you can't help kind of sing along i think one part of it is because all the lines have such like delightful wordplay that just feels really good in your mouth when you say them like there's that line in um I think it's on Ken. I can't remember what song it is, but it starts out with, I can't pay for this. All I've got is money. What a fucking line. <laughs> like, holy shit. And I try to use that in my everyday life. Just is so funny to say. But the other thing is, he gave an interview where he was talking about someone criticizing his voice. And he's talking about, like, people saying that you don't have a good singing voice is saying, like, you're a monster or something. Like, you kind of can't control it. Like, you can go to voice lessons and, I guess, theoretically get technically better at singing. Yeah. I think the thing I, I cannot sing. I don't know about, I mean, obviously, Noah, you can sing. We just heard an amazing fucking <laughs> banger at the top of the show. Right. You can mm-hmm. sing. This isn't your problem. Mason, I don't know if you can sing or not. Uh, <laughs> I really like driving around in the car yes, and bro. singing along Destroyer songs because he's just like talking. It just there, feels really there, fun you know, to like play along there's, with it. There, Wasting to... your days, chasing <laughs> some girls, all right, chasing cocaine through the back rooms of the world. I was trying to figure chasing. out how to describe this sound, specifically this album sound, to someone if I yeah. if they were like, well, what does it sound like? I was trying to figure out how to do it. Here's what I wrote down. I don't know if even if I agree with it. I wrote down, Blue Nile meets War on Drugs is what I wrote down. And I would also mm-hmm. throw in Leonard Cohen in terms of just the overall sound, you know, in terms of like yeah. how lyrics come out. And here's what I will also sure. say. I think I've said this on the show before, but I'll say it again. Uh, when I'm listening to music, I am not listening to what they're saying. Hardly ever. I'm just not. Mm. I'm listening. The, the lyrics to me are just another sonic quality. So I'm more listening to the tone of which they're singing and I guess like how they're singing it than rather what they're singing unless the lyrics are just like unavoidable, like in a Paul Simon song or something like that Mm. or Big Star. I feel that way about Big Star as well where it's like these lyrics are so unavoidable. I can't not hear what they're saying in these songs. Not to say that those are any better or worse. That's just sort of how, that's like my natural inclination. So I'm not as crazy about this style of songwriting like it doesn't really like do it for me either intellectually or emotionally so that's why when you guys are like what do you guys what do you think what do you think idiot i'm just sitting here like what's on your mind what's, what's on your mind you fucking piece of shit uh not a ton as you guys can tell but it's i don't know i just it's to me this is like it's a very specific thing if you like that specific thing you just found a new you found a new favorite guy 
Like straight up. You found a new yeah. favorite guy. And if you're not as into that thing, there's some stuff here to enjoy. Like I said, Suicide Demo for Kara Walker is great. The actual title track, Kaput, is probably my favorite song on the entire album. That's a great It's so song. good. It's so good. Such yeah. a good it's been song. Stuck in my, that, that and Poor in Love have been stuck in my head for for um for the last couple of days uh i was just sitting like at, at <laughs> i thought at you were the gonna say, like, at my some, job. Like, huge hyperbole like it's been stuck in my head no, forever. no just the last couple of days <laughs> just just for nine years <laughs> um the the wasting your days chasing some girls all right chasing cocaine through the back rooms of the world all night has been stuck in my head just like when i'm sitting at at my job and just bored out of my god uh, goddamn gourd or sounds oh my smashes. god i had a girl i was dating this girl a little bit like in the early pandemic and i kind of started trying to get her into destroyer but i gave her ken and i gave her have we met and she ended up getting mm. into kaput and sending me those lyrics and being like this is you i understand why you like this guy you're living the damn behar lifestyle br- my brother I was like, bitch, you think I'm way cooler than I actually am. There's no way I can live up to that shit. But that's like the same thing too. Is it just is it's it makes me feel like nostalgic for a world that didn't and never has existed and sure. never will exist. Like these people that talk this way that are obviously very smart, but also kind of like animals. And then they're like just at the opera or drinking wine or doing cocaine and hanging out all night and blah blah blah. How boring yeah. is that? Like it's, I think you were dead on with the, the themes of like the pitfalls of excess or whatever that you had mentioned earlier, Mason. It's, it's funny. It's like a weird kind of like ennui or whatever is what he has, which I guess is kind of like a boring quality. I think in most pieces of art, I don't. I'm not usually attracted to like people making things about being bored. But for whatever yeah. reason, like every now and then when someone does it, they're so good at it. Like no one's going to sit and watch Sofia Coppola and be like, these movies suck ass. They're just, they're really good. And like, I think yeah. same thing with this. Like it makes me feel pleasure in being like bored or drunk when I'm not supposed to be drunk or high when I'm not supposed to be high or like doing something I'm not supposed to be doing. I'm like, oh, it's just, I'm kind of like living the Destroyer song right now, which is a terrible excuse, you know, but it feels great. Yeah. I think with this album in particular, like we're talking about the lyrics so much, but I also think that the like the production and the instrumentation we also should um, sp- spend some time talking about because it just the the kind of like soft jazz or smooth jazzness or whatever mixed with this sort of you know the smooth jazz soft rock. I I I'm kind of also at a loss for how to truly describe it, um, but from like the first like kind of really hollow like drum hit that opens up. Chinatown and you just like kind of just have this sort of like this this bouquet of like city lights that's just like kind of feel like it's like swooping in and surrounding you and you're like getting introduced into this world I love I think in this album more than uh most others like Destroyer Elms that I'm familiar with like kind of calls in response to Dan Behar's like lyrics and they just like kind of weave um in and out and they're like sort of like the the production is almost like this supporting kind of like shadow character that's following like the sort of disaffected like you know millionaire or like rich guy protagonist through like his his being like down and out on like in my mind this album like kind of like the story or whatever takes place like in one guy's like kind like between like midnight and and twilight of like maybe not the worst day 
like the in terms of like the event that happened, but just when this guy was just like kind of at the pit of his like kind of boredom and despair and just like doing his best to like kind of crawl himself out and like walking around like the city or whatever. Like this is such a um like maybe urbane is a word that I could use to describe it, um, album and just like kind of feeling that um you know, just kind of being surrounded by just like lights and activity but feeling like just so in the in and having like access to everything that you want, but just being in the fucking pits over, I don't know, a girl, <laughs> the state exactly. of the world, something, yeah. you know, like, like you have everything, but you're miserable for no exactly. reason. Exactly. Like it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wasting your days, chasing the world. All right. Chasing cocaine, <laughs> being, horny. Uh, being perpetually being horny. so horny. You can't enjoy the things in your fucking house. That's what this album's about. Who can relate? Okay. Can relate? All right. All right, fellas. All right. Hand check. Let's see those hands. Let's see those fucking hands, boys. I wrote a song for America. They told me it was clever. Jessica's gone on vacation on the dark side of town forever. Who knew? Who knew? Winter, spring, summer, fall. Animals crawl towards death's embrace. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Punks kick the ball in a park on Sunday, strung out in the rain. Come on, dude. So good. Come I really Is that from Kaput too? He's like, that uh, song for America. Record, it's all right. It's yeah. so fucking great. I love that. I heard your record. It's all right. Like, I want to say that to my friends so badly sometimes. Sometimes you have to. Sometimes you have to say, yeah. hey, this is not that good. <laughs> it's not yeah. that good, ultimately, and that's fine. Um, anything else that we haven't talked about yet? Because I got some fast facts and we have a whole other thing to talk about. Just one quick um, thing. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. The If you listen to the digital version of this album. This is what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Do you want to talk about this? Because no, I only no, got you, a chance. You to... talk about it. You okay, talk about okay. it. I'm so glad. I want to hear what you think about it anyway. So, 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 so uh, Sonny Dion Jr. was a very good host. Uh, guests because he texted only me this. He didn't text our group chat this. He texted <laughs> Sorry, this I didn't... only to me in the vinyl uh, in the vinyl version of Kaput there is a track there is a side long track no uh between um song for america and bay of pigs detail if you're listening to the digital version of the album those are the last two tracks but the uh vinyl has this other this 20 minute long song called the laziest river uh which is sort of like a sweet i guess that sounds like <laughs> almost nothing else on the album and because i only had a chance to listen to it once I, I tried to write down as many thoughts as i could on it uh there's um there's this like crazy marimba side like kind of uh part of it um dan behar doesn't have too many lyrics he kind of pops in in the middle to say i sit around watch things wither retrace my steps like the laziest river going over what the world has done again love it so much good and i was trying to think of what that song reminded me of and I couldn't think of anything specific, but have you guys ever just, like, gone, like, to the thrift store or, like, the record store and, like, went through, like, the bargain bin and just bought something because it was cheap and had a cool album cover, you know? Yeah, and it 100%. might just be, like, so, you know, it, it's some sort, like, something, uh, like, that has, like, an anonymous production. Maybe it's, like, lounge music or something. I don't even know, but it, it there's, like, this kind of, like, ghostly quality to, like forgotten media like that you know like that like actual time and effort uh, was put into producing it and like pressing the vinyl and like distributing it and somebody bought it and then they're like 
I, I like I don't what am I gonna do with this and then they like hawk it off to a record store and the record store is like I don't know two bucks <laughs> you know yeah that you know the, um but you listen to it and there's just like a specific kind also like kind of specific kind of melancholy with that you know um I don't I I liked it I want to listen to it again so I can have like kind of let's just like kind of sit in my in my guts a little better um I wish I, um Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Finish that thought. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, uh, I, I, I like, I think that the album, as you can get it on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you listen to it, like just those 11 tracks, pretty like, fuck man. Like I, 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 I like the whole thing just as that document, you know, like mm-hmm. the individual tracks, like I shuffled around for, for it a little bit. And of course the individual tracks stuck out to me later, but I could just like, put that thing on like during a walk and just have like, just live in that world for an hour. Um, um, but the laziest river is worth seeking out. I suppose if you like this and are curious. Yeah. It's, a, it's on YouTube. You can definitely find it. That's right. There was a That's fucking, right. a, an interesting thing though. Like when you listen to it on the vinyl, it's like, it goes up to song for America. That's on one disc. And it almost feels like if you're listening the whole thing front to back, like that is one record. And then you have the laziest river and Bay of Pigs is like a different thing almost, and it almost like recontextualizes Bay of Pigs to hear it after Laziest River. That's like always yeah. how I felt when I was like listening to them. I also Bay of Pigs might be my favorite song on the album. Like I love how long mm. and ghostly it is, and it kind of like becomes this dance number. But it's apparently written from the point of view of Jackie O. Like oh I don't even know what the fuck is going on in that song. But the opening <laughs> line is word for it. Why not? <laughs> I know, right? What the fuck? And it's just like this woman is sitting in a house that's been ruined. What is the opening line? It's like, I've been drinking as their house lies in ruin. I don't know what I'm doing. Something like that. And then she starts talking about this person that has slighted her. Or I guess he is singing these lyrics, but it's like Christine White or whatever. Listen, I've been drinking as our house lies in ruin. I don't know what I'm doing alone in the dark at the park or at the pier watching ships disappear in the rain. Good lord, I just love it. You're right on the money, though. Like the the world, and I feel this way pretty much every time he makes an album. But I love just to like dip my toe into the world of his music, and like listening to those albums cover to cover, or even bouncing around just a playlist of just his stuff. It's like I just want to build a house and live in that, not permanently, but just so I could go back there when I want to. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Time to get fucking horny. Destroyer is a Canadian rock band from Vancouver, British Columbia, fronted by singer-songwriter Dan Behar. Informed in 1995, the band's discography draws on a varietal of musical acts, resulting in albums that can sound markedly distinct from another. In Behar's words, quote, that's kind of my goal. It starts from scratch every time. We'll build them a golden bridge. The 1996 debut album is made up of 16 lo-fi home recordings. One reviewer suggested the album combines Behar's, quote, gift for melodies with a, quote, concerted effort to make the recording downright inconsumable. The guitars are always out of tune, and the vocals of Fisher-Price quality. Static means punk. Tuning is junk. Bay Hormones on one track. Either of you guys have any experience with that album specifically? Agree? Disagree? Can't say nope. they've heard it. Great. Me neither. 
Uh, Street Hawk of Seduction realized the sonic refinement starting started with City of Daughters. Behar put it this way, quote, I don't think it gives credence to any kind of conceptualization of the records, but I hope that the City of Daughters, Thief, and Street Hawk will pop into some kind of progression that ends with Street Hawk. I don't know what the fuck that means. A critical success, the album retrospectively received a rating of 9.1 out of 10 from Pitchfork, because we know they always know what the fuck they're talking about. In 2002, <laughs> Behar said the band name, quote, I kind of wanted to go for a rock and roll name. <laughs> That's a fucking crazy thing to just say. Yeah, I called to go for a rock Hardcore. and roll name. Hardcore. <laughs> wanted to fucking rock out with my cock out, boys. Uh, in our own special way, we were tearing shit apart. <laughs> and you just have to listen very carefully. Musically, I knew I knew it was never going to be a metal band, but I thought lyrically there were fangs to the music. Behar added in 2008, I was actually so out of it that I didn't know there was a Kiss record called Destroyer because I didn't know anything about Kiss. I still don't know anything about them. I just thought it was a cool <laughs> rock and roll name, and I was kind of blown away that it hadn't been taken already. I was like, I have to use this because it's so weird, and no one's used it before. I love Destroyer by Kiss. That is a great album. That is their best overall album. I don't, have you guys ever listened to that thing front to back? No way. I don't think I so. Not, What's on that? No. Let me... Detroit Rock one? City, <laughs> Beth. Oh, uh, you're you're. Listen, you don't gotta say anything more, man. I'll take your word on that. Yeah, Destroyer's actually good. Like Kiss, maybe not the most exciting musical band, but hell, our friend Kel Kripe saw them fucking live in Irvine at the amphitheater. They said they were fucking oh, wow. incredible. They said they put on an I, incredible fucking show. I could believe it. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, the ever-evolving band lineup can give the impression that Destroyer is a solo project. However, Behar has insisted, quote, the music is always collaborative, and I think that gets lost in the weird cult of personality shit that seems to get whipped up around me. Although Behar had claimed that the lineup from certain recording sessions would be permanent, later recording sessions and tours, and dropped musicians, several band members have commonality of being for the production team of JCDC, a.k.a. John Collins and David Carswell. Kaput is the ninth album by Canadian band Destroyer. It was released on January 25th, 2011 by Merge and Dead Oceans. The album was leaked toward the end of 2010. The final edition of the album contains bonus material on side three, written largely by frequent Destroyer collaborator Ted Boyce. In a five-star review for the album of The Guardian, Alex Petridis was complimenting of the album's stylistic similarities and lyrical allusions to the 80s pop culture, writing that Kaput swerves accusations of archness and kitsch because of the strength of its songs. Penetris, sorry if I'm saying that wrong and you're listening to this, I beg for beg your pardon, further stated that the album, quote, feels like an open love letter to the vanished pop era. It's unique and warm and beautiful as love letters are supposed to be. That's why I feel like it sounds like the Blue Nile because the Blue Nile mm. is so mm. bombastic and so unabashedly 80s and so unabashedly big and like poppy almost that I feel like that's a riff. This album's a riff on that idea. It's like a, it's like a riff on new wave 80s music, Dan Behar sure. style. And I kind of think that's cool, sure, yeah. ultimately. I think that's what yeah, I that like about ass. it. So, kind of cool. Is there anything else? Oh, yeah. Here we go. Pitchfork placed Kaput second on their top 50 albums of 2011. In August 2014, Kaput was placed at number 16 on a list published as the 100 best albums of the decade so far. In 2019, they ranked it at number 22 of their 200 best albums of the 2010s. So Pitchfork Preach. loves this fucking album. They love Dan Behar. They love Destroyer. If that means anything to you, congratulations. You're, you're in good company there. Mason, I know that you were too busy watching a rainy day in New York again to know what the Mercedes Valuable Player is, so I will explain mm. it one more time for the folks at home. Of course, the Mercedes Valuable Player is the award we give to one thing or two things. It can be a person. It can be a thing. It can be a 
fucking aspect of the f- album or movie, but it, of course it is named after Mercedes Ruel from her dazzling performance in Jonathan Demme's 1988 masterpiece, Married to the Mob. We love you, Mercedes. Mason, who, what, or which is your Mercedes Valuable Player? I have to give my Mercedes Valuable Player to the three-song stretch of Porn, Love, Kaputz, and Downtown. Uh, and I also want to give the special Zevon Award to the song Poor in Love. Uh, Sonny, if you're not aware, the Zevon is an award that uh, we, a new award that uh, Noah uh, inaugurated on the show uh, to give to Desperados Under the Eaves off of the Warren Zevon self-titled album. A song that you cannot believe does not have, a song or something that doesn't have, you cannot believe uh, is not more popular. Uh mm. And poor in love, there's there's such a tradition in in indie rock and in just music in general of just like those kind of dance through the heartbreak songs. Um, and poor in love um, goes right up there with I think dancing on my own in terms of just songs that you can just like kind of bounce and move to, even though it is about like like why like um, the 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 chorus in that. Uh, why does everybody sing along uh, when the whole city's built up on ruins? I don't. I, that that sentiment just got right deep into my motherfucking core. And I'm like, I cannot believe that it took until 2021 for me to hear this song and for that to just get deep, deep down in there and, and plant a seed and it will stay there for the rest of my life. But I love that stretch of um, poor in love through kaput, through destroy, um, through downtown really just like kind of getting into the depths of our of this sort of kaput protagonist if you want to say it sort of sorrow and excess and and pride and regret and the contradictory nature of this guy's being um kind of the the centerpiece of that really holds the whole thing together I love it. I just put those three songs on repeat the last couple of days, honestly, when I can find a couple minutes to just sneak away and listen to this music. So that's what my Mercedes Valuable Player is. Full recommend for this album. I love it. I hope you love it too. Sonny, as the guest, do you want to give your Mercedes Valuable Player and if you recommend this album or not? Hell yes. Well, I would say it's obvious. I would I would recommend this album. Whole recommend. Actually, conditional yeah. recommend. Don't listen to this album if you're a fucking moron. Whoa. Like Damn. <laughs> okay. wow. Don't even bother because you're not going to like it. Hell yeah, bro. If you have two brain cells, listen to it because you're going to love it. It's great. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm sure a lot of people don't like this. Um, I think my Mercedes valuable player, I got to give it to the fucking lyrics, dude. Like Let's just go. the lyrics throughout yeah. the album. It reminds me of like reading an author you really, 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 really like where you kind of get up from the train and you close the book and you're still like seeing the world the way they are talking to you in the book. Every time I'm listening to this music and honestly at the best times of my life when I'm not listening to music, I feel like I'm like living it through this persona for better or for worse. I love I love that. I love getting to feel that way. And I just, I think he's so evocative uh, the way he writes lyrics. It's just an easy, easy MVP for me. MMVP. Let's go. I'm going to give it to the song Kaput. That's what I'm going to give it to. Uh, I think it's the, the... The... 
What the fuck am I trying to say here, boys? Boys, I'm getting too horny over boys. here. I can't think. I need to have some <laughs> post nut clarity going on or something like that. Need He's to... horny, boys. I'm horny. The hands are up here, though, so I'm gonna not. I'm gonna non hand jack off and come real quick, and then we can continue doing this. Um, what? It's just a compl- like the perfect distillation of what I like about this album. It's got that big sound that's kind of floaty, kind of ethereal. And kind of just puts you in the mood, so to speak. I think it's the perfect distillation of what this album does. I'm going to give it a regular recommend. Like I said, I'm not as big on Destroyer just on the whole as you guys are. You guys seem to be really, really into Destroyer. I'm not quite there yet. I'm not quite at that level. But this is the best thing I've heard from him in my little experience with him. So I'm going to give it a regular recommend. I do think it's worth one spin at least. Everyone should give this one spin at least. See where you're at. I would actually say this is probably a great place to start with him in terms of for sure whatever you yeah. know that sort of divide is i would say this and then if you liked some of it i would go street hawk a seduction for some and maybe that earlier sound um so i'm gonna give it a regular recommend because it is good and i did enjoy listening to it and i'll probably come back to like one or two tracks on this a- outside of the world of the podcast so that's it we still have a fucking movie to talk about are you guys ready to get even Ooh. hornier Let's do it. I'm going to go run downstairs and grab two beers. I'm going to be right back. Holy shit. All right. Well, (laughs) two beers, baby. Mason, what are we talking about here? You want to do the honors since our two two beer friend is taken off for a little bit? Yeah. Even though this is a guest choice uh, (laughs) We're being left in the fucking dust by the guest on this one. Yeah. We got, we we were looking at Sonny's lamp, pillows, comforter, and this, it looks like the, the corner of a chair there while he's going and getting his beers. Uh, but folks, we are talking about Paul Verhoeven's 1992. Yep. Erotic thriller. Yep. Basic instinct. Basic instinct. Or, um, so this might be a, or what? this might be a question. Well, were you ever a Razzies guy? Did you ever follow the Golden Raspberry Awards? No, not at all. I, I've, i like, seen, like, the only, th- I've never actually, I didn't know that they were actually a real event. I just thought it was some list that got published. Oh, he's back. You know? He's back. Yeah. I just thought it was some list that got but be- published, but I've never even, like, I don't give a fuck about the Razzies. No. No, no one gives a shit. They don't mean anything anymore, but in, like, 2006 or se- whenever the the sequel basic instinct two came out, which I have never seen. And I don't think anyone has ever actually seen. Nope. Uh, they, uh, they nominated it for an, a number of awards actually, but they gave it the fun punny title. Basically it stinks too. And oh. anytime that I saw this, the title based or wrote it in my notes or just thought about this movie, um, my brain would, it would basic instinct, but it would actually go basically it stinks. And uh, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I don't I don't think I agree with that. But Sonny, you brought this uh, film, film a cinema piece of cinema onto the um, onto the podcast here. What's your history with it, brother? This is funny. I mean, the other times I've been on the show, I feel like I'm always coming on to talk about a movie that I like really love uh, almost to an annoying extent. Um, And I don't have that with this, but I do really love this movie. 
I this is probably only the like fifth or sixth time maybe that I've seen it. Maybe. <laughs> only the uh, fifth. So casual. <laughs> I mean, it's been out for our entire lives. I, you know, I guess that's. Kind so of what was the first time you saw it then? How old were you when you saw this for the first time? Yeah, good question. You know what? It's so funny. I was thinking about that before we jumped on because I can't quite remember. I I definitely have like there were moments from it that are so iconic that kind of leaked in. Because you were on Mr. Skin. Yeah, exactly. Well, I definitely had seen all that stuff when I was a teenager just because, I mean, let's just get this out of the way. The the one thing about this movie that's really great is that Sharon Stone is extremely fucking hot. Okay? Wow. So if you can get that in your movie. <laughs> you might as well. You might as well get that in if you can. If, if, if you can get that in your movie, you're going to be okie dokie as far as I'm concerned. Um, I mean, I don't know. I guess sliver not quite as good as basic instinct but equally hot sharon stone in that so not not a wholesale rule but um i know like my dad had probably had this stuff on when i was like uh, you know a teenager or something i would see it just kind of like on cable or whatever and i was always like oh yeah it's one of those movies that kind of gets lost in the shuffle like i feel like it from 1980 to like 97 every movie had two words and it's kind of confusing. <laughs> I'm like, hard target, fatal attraction, basic instinct. Obviously, three movies have like nothing to do with each other, but it's just, they got kind of like stuck in my head. And I just thought they were all like basic bullshit. Um, yeah. But I think I got really into this movie, man, and I was like maybe 20 or 21. I definitely was still living in Chicago. And I just kind of put it on to be like, let's see what all the hullabaloo was about. I think I was having like a Michael Douglas phase. And certainly an interest in cocaine. So I was like, I kind of want to watch <laughs> stuff that included those things. Yeah. And um, it it really delivers, you know, which is funny. You only see someone doing coke once in the movie. I think you see cocaine twice in the movie, but it seems like a very cocaine induced movie. True. Yeah. That's it's, a very good point. It, it, it has a cocaine aura about it. It absolutely does. Um, it, there, yeah. At the very beginning... Of the film, not to get, you know, fuck it. We're getting ahead of ourselves. That's we're this is gonna be a three hour podcast. Um <laughs> the I was like, Oh, this has serenity vibes at the very beginning. Oh my god. That's what I thought to myself. I was like, this has fucking serenity vibes. Just the way that the cops are like talking to each other when they're first at like the scene of the crime. It was it at Baz's house, Johnny Baz. Yeah. Boz. Yeah. Johnny Boz. Yeah, Johnny Boz. Uh I was like, this has. Wait, is this vibes. the first time you had seen it? Yeah, this is my first time seeing this movie. This is my oh, first time shit. too. Yeah, yeah. What? We're I'm so excited. Popping, this is great. Popping the basic instinct cherry. Um, hopefully, that's an okay thing to say <laughs> given what's actually going on in this movie. Um, <laughs> but this is the last major Verhoeven that I hadn't seen. So now I've seen all the oh, major mm-hmm. Verhoevens. We covered L on the show almost a year ago. Um, awesome. I remember that episode. That was a great one. A great I episode. Shout out to our friend CNK. Great movie. Uh, great movie. And I was like, I think 2020 was basically my Paul Verho- my year with Paul Verhoeven because outside of Showgirls, I saw every other major Paul Verhoeven movie in 2020 for the first time. I had never seen RoboCop. Oh, shit. I had never seen Starship Troopers. I had never seen L, and I had never seen Total Recall. And so I had seen all those for the first time in 2020. And I'm like, this guy knows what the fuck he's doing. This guy is a extremely talented and borderline masterful craftsman, you know, when it comes to just constructing a story in multiple different genres. I mean, sci-fi, obviously, for Total Recall, um, 
whatever, whatever the fuck the other Starship, one. Starship Troopers, Troopers and, yeah. and you know, sci-fi whatever. satire for RoboCop action yeah. for RoboCop. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing. And then L is like this very heavy drama or whatever, you know, and this is this, you yeah. know, erotic thriller, you know, some action elements as well. He's clearly such a talented craftsman and piecing a film together and creating such a particular tone in each of those movies, even though those three movies, Total Recall, uh, Starship Troopers and RoboCop are all sci-fi to a greater or lesser degree. All different tones. They all feel like very different movies, even though they're all directed by the same guy working within the same genre. So this is my first time seeing this. This is the last Verhoeven that I had to check off my list in order to say I've seen all the major Verhoevens, and the only real thing I knew about this movie is that I thought it was Fatal Attraction, and I also saw Fatal Attraction for the first time last year, and you get to see Sharon Stone's pussy for one whole second. And that's what I knew about this movie, and that was it. That was it. And of course, yeah. when you're, you know, 14, 15, 16 or whatever, and you're like, oh, I'm fucking jacking off, you go to YouTube and you type in Sharon Stone Fatal Attraction so you can fucking pause and you can do your thing and then you can quickly throw your computer And then you're like, wait a bed. minute. No, this is this is Glenn Close, not Sharon Stone. No. I look on Fatal Attraction. <laughs> wait no. a minute. This is Lois Griffin? What the fuck? <laughs> this is Lois fucking Griffin from Family Guy? But this is a... Yeah, it's so this, funny though too because like the, obviously the most famous scene is when she uncrosses her legs or whatever. And that's like when you search like Sharon Stone nude in this movie, it always goes to that, which is insane because like the sex scenes with her are really well done. I mean, they're very long, but they're extremely erotic. And I don't feel like they have the same kind of like pin. In, All anybody uh, remembers is the is the pussy flashing scene, which apparently Paul V got without letting her know that's what he was doing, which is not a real cool thing. Yeah, that's some bullshit. <laughs> I would, her yeah. relationship to this movie is a little complicated. Apparently, she didn't make a lot of money on it. But Which she, is nonsense. Yeah, that's fucking insane. And then I think, I don't know, she just, she was like completely broke on the Oscar tour, whatever the fuck is going on. Like she just, she she did not get a lot of stuff out of this movie other than becoming a giant movie star afterwards. Um, so it's difficult to talk about that way. But as far as I've read, I don't know if you guys have done this too. You probably know better than I would. I think she's okay with the movie, right? She's not like disowned the movie or anything. It feels like it's kind of a roller coaster I, thing where sometimes... It's like, I don't yeah. like this. And then other times she's been interviewed and it's like, oh, I don't really care. But I think most recently she does have a problem with it is what I was able to find. Oh, really? Yeah. That's kind of yeah. a drag then. That makes me feel shitty. But I don't know. That is a com- that is like a completely different conversation in terms of like yeah, exactly. the movie and right. then the way that Paul V didn't really, you know, play his cards truthfully on that one. Yeah. And it's like, so like... All I know about this movie was similar to what Noah did because this is also, like I said, my first time seeing it, like, like earnestly. But I just knew this from like either like Simpsons parodies of the leg crossing scene or like Seinfeld parodies, which is awesome because Newman's in this movie. Yes. Uh, shout out to yes, Wayne Knight. Yes, that's right. Yeah, Wayne Knight. Let's go, boys. Great. Also, honestly, like I was watching this movie. I had to split this movie into two uh, screenings. I watched the first hour and 20 minutes uh, right up until the kind of big car crash, I'll say, um, in the aqueduct. And then I got a little too sleepy when I was watching it, so I turned it off and put the four- last 40 minutes on for the other night. 
Um, but when I was watching the movie and starting it, and you have that great score going on underneath it, and you're just seeing all these names pop up, you know, Michael Douglas, Basic Instinct, Sharon Stone, uh, 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 Wayne Knight, uh, Gene, uh, Gene, uh, George Zunza, uh, Gene Triplehorn or whatever. Um, She's and fucking th- dynamite in this too. She's awesome. And then you just get like nothing but like character actor names. You get yeah. Steven Tobolowski. <laughs> you get yeah. Wayne Knight. You get, uh, and I'll get to the point where like, I was just like so amped on like just being able to see some motherfucking character actors that the last, the title that came up after was casting by, um, who, what was the casting's name? The casting director's name. But it kind of felt like a nice little like bow, like you're welcome. Yes. You were an able I, hand. I like here. that. Um, fuck. Uh, Chelsea Ross is in this. Howard Fewer, thank you. And also, this movie. Uh, the other name that I wrote down at the top was shot by Jan de Bone. Um, it was a tremendous, like, kind of studio, uh, working cinematographer. Directed Speed Speed to Cruise Control. Um, and makes this he movie directed look Speed, just, my man. Mwah. Straight up Speed. Oh, and the first Speed. Okay, yeah. you're right, you're right, you're right. My mistake. And Twister. I don't know. But anyways, this movie looks fucking incredible. Um, yes. This is just a movie where, like, it does have, like, kind of, I think, to a 20, like, a, a contemporary audience does have, you know, messy politics around gender and sexuality and things like that because it's written by joe esterhouse <laughs> yes i was like we gotta get joe esterhouse we gotta get joe esterhouse we will get to joe esterhouse but this is a movie that like i really just on the like just a base level appreciate for its craft you know mm-hmm. um and particularly for things that was for for uh just appreciate um for as a piece of craft um and as like an erotic thriller or like a neo-noir or something. And we are in noir Vember. Um, so it's in the, you know, people are watching noirs. There's a lot of conversation of, of noir movies happening. I love noirs. I'm on record. That's a weird this. way to pronounce Noah Vember Mason. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an Australian way, but another thing that I appreciate about this. <laughs> Nothing. I got nothing. Jesus. Uh, Sorry, folks. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry for lobbing that one, lobbing that grenade in the fucking middle of the chat and then blowing my own cock off on that one. Christ almighty. Sorry, folks. Uh, I think this is just like an an impeccably like just crafted movie and impeccably crafted noir. And it's like, I think that this movie might be the movie that like broke noirs as a genre um because like after this point you kind of can't have that like simmering like kind of like erotic like kind of tension and repression that you that's like characteristic of that genre because in this movie it is all just people fucking when they feel like it basically yeah and well it's funny we got like well it was a huge hit, I think, which is important yes. to talk about. It made yeah. so much money. And this is like an era where these erotic thrillers, erotic noirs are like very much in the common, you know, vernacular. Like adults are going to see these movies all the time. Totally. You yeah, know, like right, Body right. Heat is, I guess, 14 years before this or something like that or something like that. Yeah. But I it's, guess it's in that yeah. same kind of thing. Um, and then right after that, it seems like, you, I don't want to do too much hand wringing where it's like, oh, it's Marvel and all that shit. But it, it seems like 
in the mid 2000s movies it was important for them to be like family friendly if it was going to be high grossing even movies for adults they were like prestige you know like there was not it, there was nothing gross about them like saving private ryan is kind of like a very stalwart serious movie like you don't take children to see it but you could like a young like a 10 year old could see it and it, it would be important for them to watch that movie you can't say anything like that about basic instinct you know what i mean i guess it depends on how early yeah. you want you want to expose someone to sharon stone i guess that's the only no thing. doubt i mean get them started early yeah, it's bro. better for your development it really is absolutely bro uh i want to just straight up ask you though sunny why did you, you said, you know, earlier, usually I bring on a movie that I'm just like cuckoo, you know, for Cocoa Puffs about, but this one you've only seen five or six times. So A, why bring it on the show in the first place? And what is it about Basic Instinct that you love so much? I honestly have no idea why. It's been on my brain for months and months and months, and I just have been kind of looking for an excuse to rewatch it. Nice. Um and I don't really exactly know why. I guess I like that it makes me feel dirty. It seems like kind of the exact opposite to a lot of movies that come out now. I like, I don't even know how to describe it. Like, the, I, I, I guess I'm working on something right now. And I think what I'm looking to steal from certain movies is like that eyedropper where you can kind of like take eroticism and like scuzziness and put it in a movie where it still is like tasteful and doesn't still feel exploitative, which I guess is something about this movie where your miles may vary. Like some people may find it very exploitative. I don't really, but that goes into, I guess, the second part of your question, which is what I love so much about it. And this is a thing I think I feel about a lot of Paul Verhoeven movies. And a lot of directors have done this too. Whereas he shows you things that kind of make you feel like guilty for enjoying them. He's like satirizing something vaguely, but also giving you the pleasures of the thing he's satiring. Like in RoboCop, sure, you still yeah. want to see people get beat up and things blown up, even though there's like this thing about police brutality and surveillance states and stuff like that, like simmering under the right. surface. There is the thing where it's like, oh man, all of these people hate women and they hate their sexuality, but I still want to watch Sharon Stone have sex on screen. And I'm identifying with this guy because I want him to get the killer, even though I think he's completely deplorable, like reprehensible. Absolutely. And he, is he one gets of this the like worst guys in this awful, movie. Awful. Yeah. Awful. 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 Top to top down. And it's like Paul Verhoeven is just really good about that, of like reflecting things to you that you are uncomfortable dealing with in yourself. You know, and like not I don't think any regular person is like Michael Douglas in this movie or, you know, any of the characters in his films. But it gets at something like really primal when you see it. We're like, oh God, maybe I have been nasty in my thoughts towards women. And the fullest extent of that is this movie. And so I can either go, no, this is morally bad and I don't ever want to think about that stuff again and never watch this. Or I can watch it and be like, ooh, I kind of like that I'm being probed this way, you know? Yeah. Use it as like kind of a vessel for those 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 feelings almost or those those thoughts or whatever. Yeah. I guess sure. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, I, I, or even just interact with them in a way that I I just like that he makes me feel uncomfortable, but also gives me all the pleasures of watching a movie because like yeah. it's very fast paced. It looks great. The music's great. The dialogue is funny. It's a truly compelling mystery. I think it's got like a lot of pulp DNA in it, and then it's also like disgusting. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think it's like, no, what are your thoughts on this movie? 
You sure about to you're about to launch into something, bro, and then you fucking hand me. The I was fucking I can, stick I'll of be, dynamite. You fucking hand me a stick of dynamite. You want me to fucking blow this blow this bitch up? All right, here we go. No, um, you more than anybody knows that I truly have nothing that important to share. So I know. <laughs> don't fucking start. That's true. You truly don't. But I love hearing you talk anyway. I hate to see you wow. go, but I I hate to see you go, but I love to watch you leave, kind of thing. Um, your ass. I want to look at your ass. Um. You know, you guys gonna fuck like Minks, have a couple Rugrats, live happily ever after. Live happily ever after. Yeah, oh, dude. <laughs> what's that underneath the bed? Ha ha. We're gonna have to wait till the end to find out. Um, Mason, you kind of said it earlier when you were first talking about this movie. I'm very mixed on this film because I love the craft, but just loving the craft is not enough for me to really love a movie. Ultimately, mm-hmm. at the end of the day. That's not why I'm watching movies. That's not why I'm engaging with that kind of art. The craft is pretty amazing. Verhoeven's amazing. Jan de Bont's amazing. The you know, production design, the lighting specifically in this movie oh, yeah. is yes. drop dead yes. gorgeous. That's what I want to have. That's what I that's what I want to fuck is the fucking lighting. Boys, oh, let's yeah. break out the drop. Let's get horny for some <laughs> lighting design, boys. Let's get fucking amped. Beautiful, some great steady cam work in this movie. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Oh, yeah. Going in and out of elevators into hallways from interiors to exteriors. Amazing, that kind of stuff. If you watched this movie to dissect that kind of stuff, five stars. Easy five stars. Impeccably made. But I'm not interested in the fucking movie at the end of the day. I'm not interested in watching this guy solve a mystery that I figured out immediately. Like, it's, I just don't care at a certain level. That's where I'm at with it. Mixed on it. It's my, it is probably, I would have to watch Showgirls again to really say, but this is low-tier Verhoeven for me. I'm much more interested in Robocop, fucking L. I would like to see there, he did this movie in the 80s. Let me find it real quick, and it sounds super interesting. Maybe you guys have seen it. I feel like Sonny... Of all the people that we would have had on the show has maybe seen this movie. Hold on, let me pull it up real quick. Uh, and that new movie he's got coming out, Benedetta, actually looks really cool. I can't wait. It's going to be great. But this movie, awesome. yeah. this movie he did, is he Swedish? Is that where he's from originally? He's, uh, he's from the Netherlands. He's Netherlands. From, yeah. He's Danish. He's Danish. He's Danish. He's Danish or he's Dutch? Dutch. Dutch. That's it. That's he's it. Dutch. He did this movie in 83 called The Fourth Man. Have you guys seen The Fourth Man? I have have not not. seen that one. Here's the letterbox description. An alcoholic writer begins having visions, apparently warning him of impending danger. After he delivers a lecture, he begins an affair with a woman from the audience. The visions intensify, however, and begin to threaten his relationship with the woman, since it may be her the visions are warning against. That sounds cool. That sounds like some awesome shit. It's pre-him coming to America, haha, quote-unquote. But that sounds dope. This, I can't, I, I don't like what Joe Esterhaz is doing here. Even if it is a riff on the erotic thriller, and even if it is like a slight tongue-in-cheek version of that, it feels overly long to me. To me, it feels overly long. Like I look, It is a little long. Two, two hours, ten minutes or something, it's a little, It's it can drag a little. Well, I agree like, with you on that. I yeah. uh, was so annoyed. Like, I, I agree with you on that. I think it does, like, when I, like, I, um... I was not as quick on the the uh, uh, 
the resolution of this movie as Noah was, even though, like, one thing I do love about just the thriller or noir, like, kind of genre is that, like, every single character in those kinds of movies has, like, in this web of, like, kind of deceit and regret and their own, like, re- like repressed feelings that, like, kind of destroy them at the end of the, at the end of the day. Um, I think that, like, I was not super compelled on the mystery of it as much, like, just the, the putting the case together, but I was just, like, brought through this movie because, like, um, one, I really think that the, the sort of the character archetype of the, the detective that like the kind of straight and narrow detective who like, who because of bad. this case starts to like get breaks bad. Exactly. Like starts yeah. to give into his vices. So, um, good. And just like seeing him like kind of descend into hell basically. <laughs> um, and not really like at the end of the movie doesn't have a redemption even I think is really, really cool. And that's what that like last image is about for me. Uh, you know, the last image of the movie is like the, that, that kind of ever present, um, like that kind of ever present threat of, of these, these vices coming back to actually get this guy this time. Um, but the other thing is Sharon Stone's performance in this, um, because, for most of the movie, maybe for even all of the movie, she does such a good job of being, like, at turns, like, kind of cold and impersonal and... Maybe not impersonal, but, like, like cold and, and like, what you think of, like, psychotic or a femme fatale and being, like, truly, like, kind uh, um empathetic and, and garnering a lot of sympathy and, like, threading that needle so that you're watching this movie and being like, is this woman, like, actually innocent or is she, like, just this this terrifying, brutal, sadistic killer? Um, I was, like, brought along on, like, the mystery on that level of things. And I think that's just, that's literally just all Sharon Stone's performance, which is why it's so fucking annoying that the only thing that people remember about her from this movie is that she was tricked into showing her pussy, basically. Because she's so fucking... And, you know, Sonny said that she had a, a star career after this. But I don't know, man. Like, when I think about, like, the media that I've interacted with from around this time that references Basic Instinct, it's kind of just about how, how sexy she is. And she is sexy. Yeah. Let's not, let's, but let's, she's let's, so good. She's such a good it's, actor. Like It's hard to put that, like... It's insane that she wasn't very well known before this too. Because well, two things: the the woman that plays Roxy looks just like her, which yes. I think is just insane that they found two people that essentially look like Sharon Stone, yeah. let alone finding one person that looks like Sharon Stone. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that kind of like weird. There's like a like Hitchcockian undercurrent to this. Like it's set in San Francisco. There are like shades of vertigo with the kind of Roxy Sharon Stone lookalike thing. If you're really digging for it, I don't think the movie is really trying to do that. And then yeah. I like it, the weird rear rear window reference where Beth's apartment is right across from these dancing women. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> Yeah. I think that's funny. Um, but I think the the thing I really like about it, because I'm kind of with you both of you guys actually, the mystery is not really that compelling to me. And I, honestly, most movies, I feel like I've said this before, even on the show, is like I I have a hard time with plot and I don't really remember plots that well. Even I've seen this movie a few times. I couldn't remember how Beth gets wrapped up into it. And I kind of didn't care. And I was like, whatever, like I, it, that's not what interests me about the movie, but I really like the like moral degradation of this person after 
wanting to fuck someone so bad and not being able to deal with the rejection. And then furthermore, the movie double dials on the thing where it's like that masculine trait where you have sex with someone once and it's as though they belong to you now. Yeah. And I like that she is unattainable. She's like, my book's done. You're out of here. You know, you you say we're going to skip the Rugrats and whatever, live happy ever after. Well, guess what? I have a fucking ice pick under the bed. Like all this cool shit. And it's it makes me uncomfortable, but I really like it just because, you know, obviously women aren't anyone's objects or property. And right. I totally understand, like I, just I, watching men behave that way is just extremely unsettling. And I like doing it for whatever reason. Sonny, have you seen uh, In the Company of Men directed by Mr. Neil Laboot? I have, but not in years. I don't remember it very well at all. I, I got to give that one another spin note. Similar themes, right? It is. That's actually like when we first started doing this show, that was like, oh, that's like going to be a movie I'm going to bring onto this show one day and I'm going to make Mason just absolutely want to end his whole life like when he watches it like type of thing because it's so dark and so brutal, yeah. but so funny. Like it is so deeply, darkly funny. And you could make an argument that there's some humor going on in this one, too, but I think maybe that's a little bit more of a stretch. Maybe there's some unintended humor going on in Basic Instinct. But I you, I was going to say, if you hadn't seen In the Company of Men, that's a huge movie for you. If, if you're liking that sort of moral degradation and just path- patheticness that men steep toward, you know, when they're... Yeah. Horny as fuck, you know, is the drop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like being horny. He doesn't even get post nut clarity. No. This is a whole other movie about post nut, like in clarity, too, or unclear, whatever the word would be. It's like after he's had sex with her once, it's not enough. He's like, and and he's jealous of the idea of Roxy being introduced or Rocky or whatever her name is being introduced as a third. You know, it's like, I need you and only you and I need you to only want me. And this is the fuck of the century, blah, blah, blah. How are you not getting out of this? What I'm getting out of this, which essentially is the pitfall of every relationship to just like turned up to the highest possible version, sure. you know? Interesting. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, that's an, that is an interesting like lens to view this movie from. I hadn't really considered it as that maybe if I were to do a rewatch of it and I'd considered it more through that lens, then I would have come out the other side being like, oh, like I really like this. Because again, on the like on a craft level, like if you just want to watch some kick-ass filmmaking going on, you can't go wrong with Basic Instinct. There is just so much mm-hmm. good filmmaking being done by so many talented people. Uh, and it makes you remember how many fucking people have to make a movie too. Everyone from oh my God. the locations yeah, department to everyone in post, to the whole cast, to, you know, everyone working on the lighting and, you know, grip side of things. So many people have to make a movie uh, in order to make it good, and everyone has to be giving it their all at all times. Um, not knocking the movie at all for that. I think it's impeccably crafted. I just wasn't... After, like, the like literally the 45-minute mark of the movie, I'm like, oh, we got to be going getting close to the end now, right? And I'm like, oh, we have another hour and 25 <laughs> minutes to go of this thing. And I'm just like, good Lord. The scene that personifies for me the problems that I have with this movie is actually a scene toward the end. And it's the scene where they're on the pier, and it's uh, Michael Douglas just yelling at, is it George Zunza? Is that how at you say Gus. it? At Gus. Yeah, yes. George Zunza. Yeah. And they're just yelling at each other back and forth, and it's very on the nose and very expositional and very blah, 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 whatever. And I'm like, that's in a nutshell kind of what I'm not liking going on here is it looks amazing, yeah. some amazing camera work, and they're just fucking slaughtering us with 
nonsense. It is very unsubtle. Yes. Very unsubtle indeed. Yeah. The fun one more thing about Gus too, which I think is really funny, is that the whole first half of the movie, he's just kind of like a hapless sidekick. And then you see him at a honky tonk bar and he becomes like a cowboy. <laughs> That's good. That is some and good. For shit. the rest of the movie, he just yeah. starts calling people Hoss. But I'm like, was he Southern before this? I don't think <laughs> it's almost like they like added the honky tonk scene and then just forgot to rewrite all his dialogue before that. And that draft just made it all the way up until they shot the movie. I would love yeah. to see this movie, Basic Instinct, and a movie that came out the year after the like David Wayne, the state comedy version of. And it's this movie. Oh my god! And uh, in the line of fire, starring Clint Eastwood. I would love to see yeah. the like wet, hot American summarized version of these two movies because they would be so funny and ridiculous. Just the amount of tropes oh that god. you can play into, and there is that going on in this. That's kind of what Verhoeven is like known for. Like you were saying earlier, is like taking the satirical elements, placing them there, but also just telling like a kick-ass story and you know taking you on a kick-ass adventure nonetheless they're there they're being acknowledged but it's not the point you know he's still te- you know making yeah. a movie and taking you having an experience like i guarantee the reason this movie is is a big hit has nothing to do with the vast majority of audience members going to be like wow this movie really has to say about <laughs> men's relationship to women right. they don't fucking care no and no they just want to see a little that. tna like, <laughs> yeah he's great about that like starship troopers it's like functions perfectly as just like a sci-fi adventure movie yes you know what i mean robocop like functions as an action movie and you can go in turn your brain off and get a lot out of robocop or you can, you know, if you're studying Verhoeven's career or what have you, you can be like, oh, fuck, he's up to so much stuff in these movies, and they're still hits anyway. He kind of, like, sneaks it in there, you know? he It's like what Todd Phillips wishes he was doing, probably. <laughs> oh, damn! Yeah, with jokes. Sorry, Todd Phillips, I hope you're not listening to the show. I apologize. He is the one funding this show. Well, actually, <laughs> let me just check the emails. Really, We actually do have an email from uh, Todd Phillips in the he, inbox right he's now. Also <laughs> a, he's also asking about fast food, weirdly enough. He also wants to know what we're into fast food-wise. Todd, for you, I'm taking a special trip. We're going to Sonic, baby. Let's go to Sonic. <coughs> you guys ever been to Sonic? I love Sonic. I love I've it. I've been to Sonic in a long time. Maybe I'm next time I'm in Chicago, um, Mason, we take a trip to Sh- we take a trip to Sonic. You, you guys got to get Culver's while you're there. Yo, Culver's oh, is unreal. No, we we yeah. got to go to Oh, well, you probably went to Culver's in uh in Wisconsin, right? Wisconsin and Nebraska. Nice. Yes, bro. Very cool. I pulled into Lincoln, yes, bro. and the sun was setting, and it was the day before Memorial Day, and I'm talking to my friend, actually, Anna Vincenti. Shout out Early Plug. She's going to be on my favorite podcast this coming, or this week, I guess, actually. Um, she had done a trip literally, yesterday, if you're listening to this today that comes out, and she was like, bro, that's cool you're doing a trip, and I'm like, hey, I haven't eaten in 14 hours. Can I talk to you later? And she's <laughs> like, sure. She's like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to Culver's, and there's like 50 old people in here right now, and they're like just sharing a peanut sundae with each other in the middle of fucking Nebraska. Can I go enjoy that? And she's like, oh, yeah, sure. So shout out to Anna Vincenti. Um, this movie's kind of cool. It's kind of a cool movie. There's some cool stuff. There's some cool action yeah. sequences. The car stuff is cool. Good car chases. Good car chases. Great. Good car yeah. action. That's a funny thing, too. I mean, I guess she acknowledges. She's like, oh, are you going to keep following me? I'm leaving at midnight if you're following me, blah, blah, blah. But the first time she goes to Hazel Dobkin's house or whatever, which is funny. Did you guys pick out who that was played by? No. Who is that? Who? Dorothy Malone. Dorothy Malone. She's an old, like, she's in 
this is an interesting thing. I bet there's something you could read into with that casting choice too, because we don't exactly know who Dorothy Malone is, but the movie suggests that she's kind of like a proto figure for what uh, Sharon Stone's character is, like a murderous oh, kind sure. of temptress. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dorothy Malone, you would probably see, she's she's the bookkeeper in The Big Sleep. Um, that hmm. Humphrey Bogart like has sex. She's the really cute one with the glasses, but she had such yeah. an interesting career. She started out playing these like bookish kind of like nerdy girls and she had brown hair. Then she dyed her hair blonde and in the 50s had a big stretch where she was like a big bombshell kind of actor. Um, mm. She's great. There's a Douglas Sirk movie called Written on the Wind. And I think it's the first, it, I don't want to get checked on this. So I'm not going to say it, but it's the first thing I ever saw her in where she had like platinum blonde hair and she's a fucking knockout. And it's funny the way the, That's interesting, like, yeah. the system kind of sexualized her by making yeah. her this way versus that way. And there's even the thing in the movie where it's like, Beth wanted to be exactly like me, so she dyed her hair Damn, blonde, that's blah, cool. blah, blah. I didn't know Dorothy that. Dorothy Malone's hair is blonde. I'm yeah. thinking in real time here. I don't know if this is a real thing that's in the movie, but um, I just, I I remember like the second or third time I watched it, I was like, I know her face. I know her face. I can't remember where from. But yeah, that's Dorothy Malone. Um, that's a very Verhoeven thing to do is just to like drop that, like, like unless you were looking for it, like it's in, it's indicative of him like putting thought into like like reading the Joe Esterhaus script and being like this is incredible this is about you know man <laughs> uh, <laughs> this, is, this is about uh, uh, um, uh, you know just the evil that men do this is about uh, temptation and, and desire and all these other things and just uh, the male gaze I don't, or the male gaze or whatever and being like what's Dorothy Malone doing you know or maybe not even that but, but just yeah. like putting in like just that little thing that like Maybe it was intentional. Maybe that's where his mind was. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just like kind of in the stew of the the creation or whatever. But because it's there, it does have add this other element to this this uh, uh, this movie and the kind of proceedings here because it it very much is like a blondes versus brunettes kind of movie, you know. Yeah. Um, and you talk about you know Hollywood studio filmmaking. You talk about like. Hitchcock and like kind of even uh 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 just in this like the kind of micro I guess of of um like brunettes are always seen as like kind of the the good girls or whatever the virtuous ones and these blondes are like the the temptresses and the seductresses or whatever for no reason other than just like maybe a couple guys thought that blondes were uh cute and cast them in movies in these roles or whatever I was thinking like the Sharon Stone role in this and maybe it's just because she was like on so many like crashing like rocks and, and stones and all of this stuff but like the Sharon Sharon Stone's performance in this reminded me so much of Gene Tierney's performance in Leave Her to Heaven which is a great oh, like killer yes. brunette movie great noir um just a great like cold evil performance one of the greatest like kind of bad guys in movies is is Gene Tierney in that movie folks if you haven't seen Leave Her to Heaven and yeah run to basic, watch Leave Her to Heaven Bones it's funny run. too because in Leave Her to Heaven, it's difficult to figure out what her motivations are. And I won't spoil the movie for anyone that hasn't seen it. <clears throat> but it seems like the only thing that's making her go forward is the sole attention of this man. You yes. know, that that's the thing that she needs. A criticism, I guess, I would level at this movie is like, why does Sharon Stone act the way she does? Is she mad about the way men treat her? 
if if that's the case, there's nothing in the movie to really suggest that, you know. Yeah. So it, it, that's a troubling thing about the politics of the movie is that it's kind of doing so much heavy lifting about how evil men can be and how disgusting men can be, and then in the end, she did kill them anyway, so she was lying the whole time. So it's like the only thing you can take away is, oh, that is just a trifling ass bitch. That's all it is. <laughs> like e- everything that we work to maybe say with the movie is undone in the last minute and kind of undone in the whole, not the performance necessarily, but maybe in the script where it's like the character doesn't have a ton of interiority. You know what I mean? Absolutely. She's a writer. She picks up, she uses people and that's kind of it. And like the only hint at it is maybe that relationship with, with Hazel Dobkins, but we don't really know anything about that either. Other than that woman also killed somebody. So it's interesting there's there's kind of like a void there when you're trying to like analyze what the movie is doing. Agreed. I very agree. Interesting yeah. to get Joe Esterhaz in a room, just me and him, and me to be like, what the fuck was going on, bro? <laughs> you gotta you gotta spill the beans. It's, he's got a new movie coming out this year. Wow. Uh, with no Armisen. Really? Am I wrong or is it Adrian Lyne? I think it's Joe Esterhaz. Let's find and out. And it's it's the Ben Affleck Anna Darmus movie where they met and they had their whole relationship was during the making of that movie, and so he's gonna be on the press tour. Let's get one of us a fucking pass. Yeah, no kidding. I need a bro. press pass so I can ask him what the fuck is going on. He directed and, uh, this movie? And, uh, I think so. Let me look this up and make sure I'm not insane. I don't know if Joe Esterhaz is has it, been. Oh, I think it's I think it's Adrian Lyon, actually. Fuck. I might be wrong. Adrian Lyon, that's hey. I'm sorry to all the listeners. Hey, listen, that's fine. Everyone, every all the listeners forgive you, but Adrian Lyon directed Fatal Attraction, which is what I thought this movie exactly. was for so long. Yep. Yes. House and Adrian Lyne are always kind of like married in my brain because they're, they're like King A and King B of like the erotic thriller. You know what I mean? 100%. Yeah. What is so My is dad it- had Joe Esterhaus's autobiography from the, from the library when I was a kid. Never read it, but it was just always curious to me that my dad got that book from the library. Don't know what he got out of it. Dude, is Joe Esterhaus a, like a guy, like a Hollywood guy, like a known guy? He was big in the 90s. There's a great yeah. interview where Boogie Night, or no, it's Hard Eight is premiering at the New York Film Festival. And Paul Thomas Anderson's like, it's insane. My little movie's here. And Joe Esterhaus has a movie coming here. And I'm like, oh my God, that's hilarious. What the Just fuck? thinking well, about Joe like, what was going on. That's crazy. Yeah, Joe Esterhaus wrote Flashdance, which is an Adrian Line movie. So they have worked together. Ah, uh, okay. That, maybe that's where I get it. Confusing. Yeah. And he also actually wrote Showgirls. And and Sliver actually, there's yeah, a whole like yeah. kind of stretch, uh, an Alan Smithy film, Burn Hollywood Burn. Yeah. Uh, but he also wrote this great um, 1985 uh, thriller, Jagged Edge, directed by. Richard oh yeah, Mark Jagged Long. Edge. Totally. Fun- Jagged Edge with great. Jeff Bridges, Jen- Glenn Close, uh, and Peter Coyote, Peter Coyote, and Robert Loggia. Uh, great. Great thriller. Really, really like uh, that movie a lot. Um, yeah, he's he's just he's really dialed in at that kind of like scuzzy thriller thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just gross like eroticism. I don't I don't know. Uh, it's so funny though because there's a huge gulf in movies today that I think could be filled by something like that. Although I don't know if there's an audience exactly for it, but I, I mean, I, I would be interested to see movies like that. Yeah, stuff like this is like I think like I haven't seen it, but there was that movie the the Voyeurs that came out earlier this year that people were kind oh, of talking about. I've seen some see... parts from it. Hey, oh hey. my man! Yeah. I was gonna say that's the movie. Time to get fucking horny. <laughs> there we go. Listen, well, I respect Sydney Sweeney, and I think she's a gifted performer. And those yes. are the parts you went to go see. Same. 
I've wanted to see the Sydney Sweeney parts. Absolutely, I understand. You've um, wanted to see Sydney Sweeney's parts. <laughs> oh my goodness! I hope she's good, Lord. <laughs> you guys all have to. I have to fake my own death after this. We all, we all have to. Actually, no, we all actually have to be dead after this. That's the fucked up part. Um, the Adrian Line movie is called Deep Water, uh, written by it's based on Patricia Highsmith novel starring Ben Affleck and Ed Armas, Tracy Letts as well. A well-to-do Ooh. husband who allows his wife to have affairs in order to avoid a divorce becomes a prime suspect in the disappearance of her lovers. That sounds great to me. That sounds fucking awesome. That sounds tickets, awesome. Please, let's go. Let's do it. Didn't realize that that was based off of a Patricia Highsmith novel, uh, I Will Be There Day One. Yeah, no shit. I apologize to the listeners for saying that was Joe Esterhouse. And I apologize to the great Joe Esterhouse. And more so, I apologize to the to the great friend of the pod, Adrian Line. Yes, exactly. He's coming and, uh, rec- and, yeah, and uh, friend of mine, Patricia Highsmith. Close friend of mine. <laughs> and per- friend of personal, close personal friend of mine, Anna Armas as well. So, <laughs> um, But I, the, uh, it's an interesting point about how there is sort of a gulf in this particular kind of movie uh, it is interesting how certain kinds of movies have their pendulum swing in their favor, and then their pendulum swings out of favor. Maybe one day superhero movies will do that too. Maybe, hey. <laughs> but maybe they won't. We'll see. And that's we'll fine, see. and that's how things go. But yeah, there's kind of a missing thing from there, and I don't know exactly what it is. In some ways, people have gotten more conservative, you know, as you yeah. know, time has marched on about certain yeah. things, and they've become less conservative about some things. As time has marched on, like I think a huge thing is like just the I mean, I don't maybe this is not the right place f- for this discussion, but just the way film marketing and the financial model of this business has changed since this basic instinct has come out to now. It's like no one gave a fuck about if people in China were gonna see this movie. Absolutely. No one cared. The the biggest yeah. driver of box office was domestic, you know what I mean? Totally. And so now it's like, well, how can we get a bunch of people that don't speak English to go see this thing? I, you're hard pressed to be like a, a movie totally. with some young starlet and an aging, you know, male movie star fucking for two hours. Probably not going to get a bunch of people in China to go see it. No, I, I just yeah. can't imagine basic instinct making six hundred million dollars worldwide. You know what I mean? And that's why comedies are disappearing too, because they're harder to market yeah. overseas. And that's why horror movies and action movies are getting pumped up because you don't need as much lost in translation shit happening. Yeah, it's very easy to be yeah. like. I am scared by this monster or I enjoy this car chase. That doesn't have a language barrier. That's universal. Iron Man sad. Yes, exactly. Iron Man sad. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool to me that Iron Man sad. So everyone, everyone has to watch this movie for the next 25 fucking years because Iron Man sad and that's fine. But it is interesting how these things sort of, you know, pendulum swing back and forth. And there was a like period of like 15 years where erotic thrillers were like, adults just went to go see them you know in theaters and it wasn't out of the ordinary and it's gone now that's fine totally kind of cool yeah actually actually kind of cool uh gentlemen let's do some fast facts is that okay let's do some let's do it let's do it i have a lot of fast facts because there's a lot to say about this movie so i'm gonna try and blaze through them here we go not very fast facts the not very fast facts the slow facts the stupid facts the facts that no one gives a fact about here we go basic instinct is a 1992 <laughs> new noir erotic thriller directed by Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esther has 
House. The film follows San Francisco police detective Nick Curran, Michael Douglas, who is investigating the murder of a wealthy rock star. During the investigation, Curran becomes involved in a torrid and intense relationship with prime suspect Catherine Trammell, Sharon Stone, an enigmatic writer. Basin Instinct premiered on March 18th, 1992, and was released by the United States and by TriStar on March 20th, 1992. It received mixed reviews from critics who praised the performances of its cast, original score, and editing, but criticized its writing and character development. Despite these reviews and public protests, it grossed $352 million worth worldwide making it the highest grossing film of 1992 behind any guesses i looked this up isn't it home alone 2 yes home alone 2 i think was the highest grossing film of 1992 which is crazy wow but also aladdin and the bodyguard yeah so it was number four all year number four the whole year Behind Aladdin, that is the bodyguard, uh, insane, insane. Yes, absolutely. Just uh, yeah, you cannot can't. reconcile that with what the, the world looks like right now. It is blows my mind. In a way, this like permeated pop culture in a crazy way. Holy shit! Yeah, nuts. So that's crazy. Uh, before its release, Basic Instinct generated controversy due to its overt sexuality and violence, including a rape scene. Gay rights activists criticized the film's depiction of homosexual relationships and the portrayal of bisexual women. The film was later recognized for its groundbreaking depictions of sexuality, again, fucking pendulum, fucking going back and forth in mainstream Hollywood cinema, yeah. and was described by one scholar as, quote, a neo-film noir masterpiece that plays with and transgresses the narrative rules of film noir. A 2006 sequel, Basic Instinct 2, also starred Stone and was made without Verhoeven's involvement but received negative reviews and was unsuccessful. The screenplay was written in the 80s, basically prompting a bidding war. Basically, it stinks. Uh, prompted a bidding war until it was purchased by Carol Co. Pictures for $3 million. Esther Hawes, who has been creative source for several other blockbusters, including Flashdance and Jagged Edge, wrote the film in 13 days. That's nuts, too. To just write this entire Holy movie shit. in 13 days. It takes me 13 days sometimes to work a shit out of my body. <laughs> you said this is a cocaine movie, right? This is a cocaine oh, movie. Oh, I wonder why that is. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how that how could someone find the energy to do something that takes a tremendous amount of effort in 13 days? Hmm. Where would you get the extra energy? Hmm. Guess he's just built different. Verhoeven had suggested changes to the script that <laughs> Esther Haas disagreed with, one of which included a lesbian sex scene that Esther Haas called exploitative. With Verhoeven unwilling to budge, Esther Haas and producer Erwin er- Winkler left the project. Gary Goldman was subsequently hired to do four different rewrites of the script at the advice of Verhoeven. After the fourth rewrite, Verhoeven admitted his proposals were undramatic and really stupid. By the fifth draft, the script had reverted to Esther Haas' original with minor visual and dialogue changes. Esther Haas receives sole writing credit. Douglas recommended Kim Basinger for the role of Catherine Schmel, but Basinger declined. He also proposed, get ready, I need a counter here, ready? Julia Roberts. Oh boy. Greta Skaki. Meg Ryan. They also Oh it my god. Could you imagine Meg Ryan in this shit? <laughs> As what? Just getting her pussy eaten by Michael Douglas. <laughs> she would have been like Also, can we shout out to the to the positive there's pussy eating in this movie? Yeah. Rare for this the movie time. gave Michael Douglas throat cancer and we should <laughs> <laughs> Shouts to Sharon Stone. Shout out to Sharon Stone for giving Michael Douglas throat cancer because we're a pussy. Uh <laughs> as did Michelle Pfeiffer, Gina Davis, Kathleen Turner, Kelly Lynch, Ellen Barkin, and Marielle Hemingway. They all turned it down. Demi Moore was also considered. She also turned it down. Stone was eventually selected for the role, was a relative unknown until the success of the film, but had previously worked with Verhoeven on Total Recall. Uh, oh, I forgot that Total Recall is before this. Yeah, it's right before. This is the movie he does right before. Uh, oh, this gotcha, okay. 
Um, in one scene, Stone's vulva was filmed as she crossed her legs. Stone later said she believed the characters not wearing underwear would only be alluded to and not shown. She said that been wearing white knickers until Verhoeven said they reflected light on the camera's lens and asked her to take them off, assuring that her sh- only a shadow would be visible. Stone said that it was not until she saw the film in a screening test room with a test audience that she became aware of it, leading her to slap Verhoeven in the face and leave the screening. However, Verhoeven has her. denied the claim and yeah. said that she was fully aware in advance that her vulva would be filmed. Crazy that that is just not a thing that is known. Like that just that should just be a thing that should just be known. It's either happening or it's not. You're either okay with it or like, you're can't not. Can't someone else come out and be like, "Hey, this is what happened." I can't believe it's just him versus yeah, her. Why like someone's got to weigh in. Yeah, I know it's fucked up. True. I just fully believe her. I like I, that seems like absolutely some shit Verhoeven. Absolutely, absolutely, hundred percent. Fucked up. Without a doubt. Uh, yeah, that's fucked up. That's not cool. Basic Instinct's critical reaction was mixed. Rotten Tomatoes holds it at 54% with an average of 6 out of 10. Unevenly echoing the work of Alfred Hitchcock, Basic Instinct contains a star-making performance from Stone, but it's ultimately undone by its problematic, overly lurid plot. Janet Maislin of the New York Times praised the film, saying Basic Instinct transfers Mr. Verhoeven's flair for action-oriented material to the realm of the Hitchcockian intrigue, and the results are viscerally effective even when they don't make sense. Peter Travers, who used to be my favorite critic for some reason. I Peter don't know Travers, why. Rolling Stone. <laughs> he was, he's five stars everything. He, Let's go. Everything. Well, actually, I feel like he doesn't give everything five stars. I feel like he was actually sort of like an asshole most of the time. But he also praised the film, saying it was a guilty pleasure film. He also expressed admiration for Verhoeven's directing, saying his cinematic wet dream delivers the goods, especially when Sharon Stone struts on with what comes with enough come on carnality to singe the screen. Australian critic Santa J. Harvey of the Sunday Times calling it one of the 90s finest productions doing more for female empowerment than any feminist rally could. That is a bold statement. That is a bold statement. So there's people very mixed on this film. And Mason, are you ready for this? Are you ready for this fact? Mm -hmm. Roger Mm -hmm. Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times ordered it two out of four stars. I knew this was coming. (laughs) I knew it. Yeah, I read his review. He said the film. That's a tough beat for Raj. She's wrong. Well, maybe Uh, Raj. (laughs) Maybe I agree with him. Uh, He was saying that the film was well crafted, but died down the last half hour. The film is like a crossword puzzle. It keeps your interest until you solve it. Then it's just a worthless scrap of with spaces filled in. Maybe don't agree with that last part. Uh, This is one of my favorite facts we've ever done on this show. This is one of my favorite all time fast facts. Upon seeing the film. Steven Spielberg noticed Wayne Knight and immediately wanted him to play Dennis Nedry in Jurassic Park. He stayed. Oh, let's go! <laughs> My God, he stayed Ooh, through Wayne the Knight end stays credits. Motherfucking winning. I know, dude. He stayed through the end credits just to find his name, and Knight ended up being the first actor cast in Jurassic Park because of his role in Let's go! Good for that, dude. That's so sick. My face is melting off. I cannot believe... I've never heard that before. Isn't that amazing? Holy shit. That's so cool. I can't wait to tell anyone that will listen about that. (laughs) This is the (laughs) fucking funniest thing ever. Last fast fact, and then we'll get into the wrap-up stuff here. Joe Esterhaas based Catherine Trammell on a go-go dancer he knew in Ohio. One night, he picked up the stranger, and they went back to his hotel room to have some fun. Quote, she reached into her purse and pulled out a twenty-two and pointed at me. He told Nerve. She said, give me one reason why I shouldn't pull the trigger. I said, I didn't do anything to hurt you. You wanted to come here, and as far as I know, you enjoyed what we just did. And she said, but this is all guys have ever wanted to do with me, and I'm tired of it. We had a lengthy discussion before she put the gun down. Joe Esterhaz wrote the script in 10 days in the 80s while listening to the Rolling Stones nonstop without even having a story outline. 
It was the first called Love Hurts, but then he sold it in three days at an auction as Basic Instinct. That is fucking crazy in its own right. Getting a fucking 22 pointed at you, being like, what the fuck is your problem? I I had such bad sex with you right now that I'm going to fucking murder you in cold blood. Like, goddamn. Oh, my Lord. I know. Wow. That man truly needs, like... That man needs his own movie made about him. He seems like a fucking wild man, to be honest with you. Men will literally write an erotic thriller in 13 days instead of going to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Boo. Boo, exactly. Agreed. Boo. Um, I'm going to give a co-Mercedes Valuable Player for our friend Basic Instinct. First, Jan de Bont. Great. Great lighting. Great camera work. It's phenomenal. And... He's also doing some directing. He's just kind of an, I'm, maybe not underrated, but like, I don't really know what he's doing now, but he was the man back in the day. He was the man. Did some great mm-hmm. stuff. And then I'm also going to give- He had a solid 90s. He did have a solid 90s. Just like us. <laughs> just like we had some solid, we were solid in the 90s too. What happened? Oh yeah. yeah I don't know. Uh, <laughs> what happened? What happened to us? Um, and then the other co-Mercedes Valuable Player Award is going to go to the city of San Francisco. Great place to set a movie. Nice. Good San Francisco movie, for sure. Good San Francisco movie, up there with Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake, Vertigo. Bullet. Bullet. It's got a great place to set a movie. Good car chase. Good good successor to Bullet for car car chase in San Francisco. Be a nice car chase in San Francisco double feature. That one specific car chase when they're on that winding road uh, right next to the water. Amazing. Amazing. Great. Great sequence. Uh, I'm going to give this a conditional recommend. You're going to like it. If you liked this conversation, you're like, oh, that sounds like something I'd be into. Great. If you don't think that you'd be into it, you probably wouldn't be. So conditional recommend for me on this one. Mason, what, who, what, or which Mercedes Valuable Player do you recommend this movie? Uh, mine is going to Sharon Stone in this. Like I said, I think that the sort of the, the tension of this movie comes from your um, – the, the tension in this movie comes – solely I think from her performance and if you believe she is being like forthright uh, if you believe until you find out like get to the conclusion if she is like actually innocent of this if this is all just the work of a crazed fan if she's actually like a um, uh, 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 you know like killing people for for material for the fun of it or whatever you want to say um, the way that she like kind of balances um, the duty that that is, uh, is, is really, really tremendous. She's a great femme fatale in this. Uh, and I don't think the movie would work nearly as well if she wasn't giving, like giving her all into this, this performance. And, uh, for that, she's my easy, easy, easy Mercedes valuable player. I'm with Noah. This is a, a conditional recommend for me, even though I did feel very strongly about it. I think that it was a you know, a well-crafted movie, a movie that I enjoyed watching it uh, when I was watching it, a movie that I had a lot of, I think, fun with. Um, it's hard for me to, like, fully recommend it to just, like, I guess a general audience or even <laughs> our audience because the... Um, because it's so, you know... Just graphic, ultimately. It's so graphic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, a conditional recommend for me, I, I think, you know, I um, it's not my favorite Verhoeven that I've seen... <laughs> But because it has that little touch of Verhoeven, it's still worth a watch if you like his work, if you like erotic thrillers, if the discussion, you know, if you're curious to watch it for yourself, I'd say it's worth a watch then. But, you know, if you're not at all interested in 
seeing it, I would say don't don't rush to it. Rush to something like Lever to Heaven, I don't know, Out of the Past, some other kind of noir, um, or even Body Heat. You know, Sunday said mentioned Body Heat, and that is actually that is a really really uh, fucking sexy Dude, movie that I need to rewatch. Watch The Handmaiden by Park Chan Wook. Or the oh, handmaiden, handmaiden, yeah. yeah. Watch yeah. the fucking yeah. handmaiden, so bro. Good. Absolutely. Watch the handmaiden. Yeah. Oh, dude. Handmaiden's got some. That's got some basic instinct in its DNA. I think does for sure. Yeah. Yes, I love yeah. that movie. That movie is phenomenal. That movie's amazing. Oh my god. Yeah. Watch. That. I need to rewatch the handmaiden too. Yeah, watch the handmaiden. So that's that for me, Sonny. MVP. You recommendo. What's uh, up? Uh, I gotta go Stone too for the MVP. I, it's just I, you said it. Like the movie, not only does it not work as well without her, I don't think it works at That's all. True. Without it her. doesn't work at all. Uh, it doesn't work at all. And just the fact that they found someone like her, like you listed the other casting choices, you know, all great actors and people that notably have done nudity on screen, which I think is funny. But there has to be a thing where you have to buy in. And I guess people's mileage may vary on this when they're watching the movie, but you have to buy in when Michael Douglas is like, I'm going to essentially start sleeping with my prime suspect, that they would do that um, and not lose the thread of the movie, you know? And the tension comes from being like, if I were a cop, I would also probably do this because she's so just like popping off the screen. It doesn't matter that she's killed someone or that you think she's killed someone or whatever you're feeling at any moment in the movie, you can't take your eyes off her. You know, and not just because she's she looks great naked and blah, 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 blah. But just like her performance in general, is it's just out of control. And she's always commanding it of every scene she's in. Um, it's just it's an amazing performance. And I, I think maybe that performance makes me tend to overrate the movie in my head, um, which I guess leads me to. Yeah, I'm I am also going to give this a conditional recommend, even though I love, 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 love this movie. I think you guys are totally right. Don't don't watch it with your fucking parents. Hell you no. know what I mean? Hell yeah. no. But even though your a, dad seems to like this movie quite a bit, I'm sure he does. Well, we've had long conversations about basic instinct and yeah, he would he would have it on. I mean, my parents didn't really give a shit about what was on the TV, which is probably why I'm so. Which is why you're bringing now, this but... movie on right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think it is. Even just as like, um, if you're interested in a cultural artifact, sure. Like watching this and then thinking about how it was the fourth highest grossing movie of the year, I, I think is worth two hours and eight minutes just to like try to understand what was happening in the collective consciousness. I do think there are lenses for like deeper readings of this movie, which I makes me want to recommend it. You know, um, but yeah, like I said, it's so sorted. It kind of like Verhoeven's thing in more than any other movie I've seen him, maybe besides Showgirls, but Verhoeven's thing like wears thin here. Where like if his thing doesn't do it for you, you're kind of out. For sure. And I think it's the same thing with Showgirls. Like you kind of have to buy in and settle down for it. And if you can't do that in like the first 10 minutes, you're fucked. And it's definitely the case in this movie. You should have to be like, they're not going to talk like real people. That's just not going to happen in this one. But I can find other things to like about it, maybe. But it's not going to be realism or subtlety or anything like that because there's really nothing to be found here of, of those of those uh, little elements. The erotic thriller did not make a comeback until 2019, Serenity. That's the statement of the show. <laughs> absolutely. 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 And there's a. I still have to listen to your Serenity episode. I saw you guys posted that. I'm so fucking excited. That movie is a hoot and a holler. That is the best movie ever made. So... Yeah. First and foremost. Um, 
But Sonny, what if you made a game where your dad was horny? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> in, a, in a world, <laughs> in a world where your dad, who the fuck I am is I am the rules. Fucking horny. <laughs> Time to get your dad horny uh, by design. Uh, speaking of getting your dad horny by design, Sonny, I know you got to go and do that. So thank you so much for coming on to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. I wanted to want, definitely wanted to make sure we got you on before I uh, leave my seat of this show. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me on. Your next show, you'll have to you'll have to let me come by and, and ruin an episode. Well, Mason might keep this by, sure. he, Mason might keep this guy going. So you might have a lot of opportunity to just go tit for tat with Mason on this one. Fucking a, let's go! I want to be up there with the uh, with the Rockies, the the, the guests with ten episodes each. Yeah, dude. Uh, this is the time of the show. You get to plug anything you want to plug. If you want to plug something, go for it. The floor is yours. Yeah, I am no longer too cool for social media. Let's as go. I was in the last episode. Let's go. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Sunny Dion Junior. Um, Great. Follow. Let's go. Great follow. Good follow. Thanks, Great guys. Follow. Thanks so much. Yeah, I don't know. I'm working on something, but n- nothing's coming of it right now. So check the tweeter, I guess. Check the tweeter. Let's fucking go. Check the tweeter, folks. Um, Noe, do you want to do your pluggables? Yeah. 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 I'm going to do those. Yeah. You can email. Yeah, I'm going to do those right now. Yep. You can email us at everybody yeah. wants to. The number two, get on the list at gmail.com like our friend Ryan Maloney did. Shout out to Ryan Maloney. Uh, send us an email. If it's good, we'll read it on the show. If it sucks, forget about it, bro. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at it's on the list pod on Twitter, and you can follow us on Instagram at it's on underscore the list. All those links are in the link tree down below in the description. You can also listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, the podcast about people's favorite things. We are halfway through what Mason mispronounced earlier as Noir Vember. We are halfway through November on that show, the month long intro to some of my favorite things this week. I mentioned it earlier. We are talking about road trips, and we have stand-up comedian Anna Vincenti on that episode to talk about the great Ooh. American road trip, the open road, and I, ta- I legitimately spend 15 minutes talking about almost shitting my pants at the largest American private residence of all time. So that is the, that's the pitch. That's the, that's the teaser for that episode. That is crazy shit. No pun intended. Uh, and I think that's it as far as my plugs go. Mason, bring us home. Folks, you can find me also on Twitter and on Instagram at HotDogTheBicky. You can find me uh, on Teespring where you can buy a shirt that is linked in the description for my Instagram and Twitter. Uh, my Where you can buy a shirt uh, for the, with the manifesto. All beer should be $1. That is in the news today. People are really tweeting about that. Not my shirts in particular, but just that particular uh, political manifesto. Uh, But if you're with the message, buy a shirt, buy a sticker, no pressure, or just, you know, write it on a piece of paper and have it in your pocket. What do I care? (laughs) Uh, You can also uh, find me on The Barn, a podcast about The Shield. Uh, You can find me on the streets of Chicago, taking the train or the bus, walking around, going to the movies. Uh, Or you can just uh, find me coming up soon on another podcast. Okay. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. More about that later. Maybe. Uh, But for now, folks, we will close out the show as we do every week by saying, tell someone you love them this week. Do something you love this week. And we will see you all 
next week. Peace. Thank you. I was poor in love. I was poor in wealth. I was okay in everything else there was. Oh, I was poor in love. I was poor in love. I was poor in love, I was poor in wealth, I was okay in everything else there was, oh I was poor in love, I was poor in love. Took me aside and said, Look, I don't do this every day. You got style. All you've got is style. I can see it from a mile away. Oh, I was poor in love. You were born okay, rich and name alone. Your Jesuit profile will suit the coming apocalypse. So I was born in love.